The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To a bonus episode Of Keeping It Strong Style Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith and you guys know what time it is, what time of year it is. It's award season. Oh, had you muted. My bad. <laughs> uh, trying to silence me, trying to keep me down. That's not, I, I, I had a, a funny quip and you were like, that's not for you, baby. <laughs> what would you say? I said, uh... I thought you were going to mention that it was Christmas time. That's the time of the year that is time of joy and giving. Yes, it's it's Christmas time, the Christmas season, a very, you know, joyous, you know, merry season. But it's also award season. It's also, you know, the the birthday. It's the birthday week of keeping a strong style. We started oh. we started five years ago this week. Nice. I always forget that. <laughs> <laughs> well, can Happy birthday to us. Um, yeah, this has been quite a whirlwind. This is literally the absolute latest we have ever compiled our awards for award season. And truth be told, I didn't think we'd be recording audio tonight. I'm surprised we're even doing this at this moment. Yeah, we literally minutes ago just got off of a phone call finalizing all the awards. Yeah, I guess it's good because every to everyone else, they were expecting for us to do this audio, get this out like we said we would. But between our jobs and sickness and travel and the holiday season and significant others, just everything that's been going on, it's been a struggle to compile these awards. So we finally got the – I thought like we were going to take tonight, just get them done – and then push the audio, but then we started looking at our schedule, and we're like, we might want to power through and do this right now. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, bear with us. Like some of the stuff we say might not be in the right order right now when we say them. Um, oh yeah, we yeah we haven't even like reordered everything. Uh, yeah, on on the ballots, everything will be um, chronological order for events and matches. For wrestlers, it'll be uh, alphabetical by last name. Uh, touch up some of the stuff, but some of it still might be out of order. But I think we're just going to kind of give our general pretty close. Yeah, we're going to give our general thoughts. I don't think we're going to break down every single nominee for each category. We'll give our general thoughts on everything. Um, you know, here's the other thing, too, Jeremy. When we first started this, you know, half a half a decade ago, <laughs> <laughs> we started the show half a decade ago. 
uh, I always had this like general tone of like, we're not trying to sway you guys. We're just kind of presenting it. This is the people's awards. You know what I've found? They don't vote the way that I say that they should vote anyways. <laughs> how many, how many times I'm like, wait, who won? That's bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm almost like, we should just give our full unfettered, unfiltered <laughs> thoughts on these categories. We're still going to tell you who, what, when, where, and why, but I'm a little less apt to be like, you know, whoever we'll get into it, but like this guy, you know, we'll just, this guy should be the most improved or shouldn't be or whatever. Like, I'm just going to tell it as it is. I think this year. Yeah. It doesn't seem to sway the votes one way or the other. anyways. <laughs> so for those of you who are new to uh, the year in awards and voting um, by the time you're hearing this, you should be uh, seeing the link for the uh, Google uh, sheet that we send out for our award ballots. There are first, second place, and third place uh, votes for each category. First place uh, vote gives the guy three points. Second place, two points. Uh, first place, one point. And so mm-hmm. you'll have those three votes in all of our categories, several categories to, to go through here. Submit those in the, the Google form. Um, we're going to give you guys, I think, till the end of December to get all those votes in, and then in the new year, uh, we will announce the the winners. Absolutely. And um, how? What is the time frame we're working with this year as far as the voting window? So voting, uh, I'm going to try and get all this stuff up. Hopefully this weekend. So I would say um, by the time you're hearing this uh, this week, so we're, we're recording right now, Thursday, December eighth. Um, so hopefully, you know, either Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometime. Uh, the ballot will be live. This audio will be live. So you have until then, until uh, December 31st uh, at uh, 11.59 before the new year comes in. A little bit tighter window than normal, huh? It's our fault, though. We push this thing back. Well, I think it's still because normally we start like it's usually open Thanksgiving week until. It's, uh, it's because World Tag League started late. Yeah. Yeah. So our crossover throw, threw us off. No, 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 no. We're not blaming the women. Not not on this episode, okay? We're not going down that route, okay? Sasha Banks is coming to this company. Let's if you guys go. didn't hear. Let's go. <laughs> Shinny Hombi. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so you, you guys are going to have basically two to three weeks, it looks like, probably. Yeah, so yeah, vote. Oh, and something new. I, I totally forgot to, to tell you about this the, an idea I had, but we're going to go for it. <laughs> Uh, okay. To kind of, <laughs> to kind of uh, right, boss man. <laughs> to uh, you know, get some conversation going and to increase some awareness on Twitter. Uh, after you get done voting, uh, tweet your what you voted using the hashtag Kiss Awards. And oh, let's, that's a great idea. Let's get the conversation going. Everybody sharing, you know, their ballots, who they voted for, all that maybe, stuff. Maybe JML and the folks over at Wrestling Observer Newsletter Newsletter Hall of Fame Tracker will decide to track the Keeping a Strong Style Award ballots that are posted. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, tweet it out. <laughs> you know, tweet at us at KI Strong Style. Let us know who you voted for uh, on your ballot. So let's, let's get some engagement. Yeah, so vote, share the the ballot. You know, it's open ballot. Share it to all your wrestling friends on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, TikTok. Live journal, all that. Discord, wherever you are, you know, share it with people and, um, you know, just get the word out there. We greatly appreciate any support, not just your vote, but also, you know, your interaction and sharing it and everything like that. Uh, and 
the last thing I'll the last plug I'll put out before we get into the actual discussion. These are not just meaningless awards. I know that this is a podcast based on New Japan. We're not officially affiliated with New Japan Pro Wrestling, but make mo- no mistakes about it. They hear about the results of these awards and they don't fall in deaf ears. The company itself does learn and hear about these awards. Yeah, I mean, results. and the wrestlers. I mean, we yep, have we, them too. We have we have wrestlers that will slide in the DMs that, that talk to us and they, they see these awards. So, yeah, go out, get, you know, get your voice heard, vote in these awards, vote in the ballot, share the ballot out, and tweet at us that you voted. So we'll uh, start the conversation off here uh, with one of our biggest awards. It's the Wrestler of the Year category. Uh, So this year, the nominees for Wrestler of the Year, we have the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, Tetsuya Naito, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, the Commonwealth Kingpin, Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr., the Dragon, Shingo Takagi, the Ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Switchblade, Jay White. Now, uh, again, in full transparency, normally when we are doing the audio for these awards, I typically tend to do a little bit of back-end research, kind of prepping myself, just having the stats and some of the reasons. But a lot of this, a lot of these decisions this year was more like, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> and it was just kind of like a gut decision. So we might not have all those pertinent details right in front of us the way we normally do, but we're going to do our best to kind of give you guys our, uh, our evaluation. And, you know, this year in new Japan has been a whirlwind. It feels like there's so like, I feel like we've never, or at least I've never watched a year where I forgot as much that happened throughout the year. And I don't know if maybe it's because they like had weird names for the events or the schedule was just kind of different. I don't, or even like the G1 being in a different (laughs) format. has like, it's all that's just made things weird this year for me. Yeah, it's been a really weird year, and it's, yeah, I mean, and just a lot, of, a lot of wrestling to keep up with if you try to watch more than just uh, New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> there was literally a match that Jeremy during the G one was like, "I loved this match." He was going to bat for it, and I was like, "Jeremy, I think you're overrating it a bit." Blah blah blah. Then we started discussing, and I was like, "What about this match?" And he was like, "I don't remember that match." And I was like, are, you, <laughs> are you kidding me? I was like, "You vehemently defended." the integrity of this match on this show. And he's like, bro, I don't remember. We ended up cutting the match. <laughs> bro, I, I, literally, I have no no memories of that match whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. So, um, and you listed the nominees here? Yeah. Yeah. So this is our first of the, what I like to call the big three awards. So I guess um, I'll start it off with two, in my opinion, outliers. And I think they're both deserving to be listed. But for the first time, I was a little shaky about whether they should even be nominated. I, I kind of had feelings like maybe we cut this award down to just six nominees, which would be the smallest field we've ever had before. And those two individuals were Tomohiro, two of my favorite guys, Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I feel like we ended up keeping both of them in for different reasons. Ishii, probably more so based on. His work in the U.S. combined with his high level of, you know, amazing match output. Yeah. But as far as 
what he accomplished, he didn't, you know, from a kayfabe perspective, he held very few titles aside from that short never reign in the beginning of the year. Very few significant wins, you know, did not have a great G1 as far as like actual, you know, wins and losses go. And so we kind of just kept him in there based on his body of work more so than, but he didn't have very compelling feuds or storylines. There wasn't a lot to kind of sink your teeth into when it came to Ishii this year. And then Tanahashi's kind of on the flip side. He definitely had high-end matches. He had the, the you know, the Ishii match at Dantaku. He had the uh, the main event at Forbidden Door with John Moxley. But compared to the rest of this field, he had far less great matches than any of the other eight nominees. And I think the main reason we kept him in is because he held the U.S. title on three occasions during the grading period. Otherwise, he might not have even gotten nominated. Right, and also, too, if you, you want to count the Forbidden Door stuff, he was in the, the main event of that pay-per-view, a pretty noteworthy show of the year, uh, challenging for the, the AEW title. Um, so he definitely had... Well, some, if he'd won that, that would have kind of made a difference. Right, yeah. Um, but, he, yeah, he did have his uh, moments throughout the year. And, too, just to uh, recap, too, for people who are new, our Wrestler of the Year award, it's kind of a, a combination of you know your your flair thes or your most outstanding it's it's all kind of a combo it's kind of what you want to vote for so if right. you if you really value in ring quality you might be you know putting one of your three votes on Ishii again kind of a down year for him but still obviously one of the best guys uh, putting out great matches every night he's out there and then uh, you know Tanahashi again I mean he had a lot of high rate stuff you mentioned the Ishii match and there were some other great stuff he did. Throughout the year, um, so if you're a big match quality guy, those guys might uh, show up on your ballot. But also, you know, it counts, you know, the title reigns, the, the promos, the, the kayfabe status, all that can be um, counted. It's all depending on how you want to vote. Yeah, um, I guess the next guy I'd kind of like to talk about is Tetsuya Naito, who, you know, we've had we have our fair share of jokes here on this show and everything like that, but. Um, I feel like two things really elevated his, well actually probably three things really elevated his claim this year and there's been years where we've been like should he even be nominated like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> we thought about keeping him off but this is a year where I thought he was a slam dunk entry into the nominations and for me the three things that stand out are a the trio of matches he had with Okada over the title uh in the early part of the year uh b a very, very strong G1 run, and then see his duo of top-end matches with Will Ospreay that kind of recalled the greatness of what Tetsuya Naito can be when he's motivated and in shape and in health and, you know, ready to go. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, for me, yeah, I feel like Naito, there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, kind of ebbs and flows, especially for his year, and we talked about the kind of the weird year for New Japan, I think it was kind of a weird year for him. It wasn't one of those years, like you mentioned, where we're like, should he be on there? But he definitely had, like, some highs. Like, obviously, he was in the title picture uh, at the beginning of the year, the, the feud with Okada. Um, he was a finalist in the, the New Japan Cup. Um, and then after that, I felt like it was kind of like a little bit of a lull for him. And then it heated back up towards G1, um, you know, having the, that amazing match with uh, Will Ospreay and then the rematch for the U.S. title. So there's definitely some like great highlight moments for him, but also some, some down periods. And then um, I know that you know World Tag League of this year doesn't count a part of the grading period for this year, 
But even still, kind of like him just kind of rolling into World Tag League, rolling the Dome season with, with nothing really planned, seems kind of weird uh, right now. Uh, but yeah, but overall, it's a good year. If you if you take into consideration his tag team with Sonata at the end of last year's World Tag League, which is in our grading period, kind of com- couple that with uh, some of the the matches that they had in the early part of the year as well. That might strengthen a bit his claim. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, he didn't hold any singles titles. He didn't win any tournaments. So from a kayfabe perspective, it's like he he was up. He, he was in the mix, but he didn't have those top end accomplishments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but still, yeah, still a really good year um, for Tetsuya Naito. And yeah, he's definitely somebody to consider while voting. Um, you know, I mentioned Kazuchika Okada, somebody that he rivaled with um, at the beginning of the year. Okada, also kind of the focal point uh, this year with the 50th year anniversary. And, you know, he was doing, you know, the Inoki tribute stuff this year with the robe and the hair. And he was, you know, busting up the, the Cobra Twist, Flosion and stuff like that in his matches. So definitely he was a heavy focus in uh, the first six months of the year with the title reign. Uh, ended up losing the title to Jay White at Dominion. And then was kind of fighting his way uh, through to get back into the picture. Won the G1 um, for the, what, fourth time, right? Or in his history, yeah, fourth time. and back to I back. believe so. And back-to-back, back, he won it last year as well. Um, so, yeah, got in and, you know, decided he's not defending the briefcase. and <laughs> Locked himself in for the Dome uh, pretty early. And, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it was a really solid year for Okada. Yeah, I mean, the... the Big knock on Okada as far as if there was any detriment, you know, he beat Shingo and then beat Osprey back to back. And it looked like he was on this path to potentially just have another legendary reign with this new title and carry it forward. And then wound up dropping the belt in like May or June to Jay White, which was a little bit unexpected. I think we were kind of calling it here on this podcast, but a lot of people didn't expect that to take place. And yet somehow still managed to, even without the title, kind of make the rest of the year about him between the feud with Jonah, him uh, winning the G1, and then his subsequent feuds following that leading up to, you know, dome season going off against Jay White. So uh, Okada's had a fantastic year, not to mention, you know, some of the aforementioned matches that we, you know, already talked about Shingo, Osprey, the series with night, the two matches with Osprey, the matches with Naito, the matches mm. with, uh, Jonah and Jay White. So, I mean, he's really had a very, very strong top end year. And I think he's got a, a, a good claim to probably be the guy. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, Switchblade, Jay White, and you mentioned Okada having a great year. You know, you know how many times I forgot that like Okada is not the champion right now; that it actually is uh, Switchblade. Jay White is. It's happened so many times for me too. Yeah, he he is the current champ right now, and he is a, a nominee here. And again, he's another guy with a weird year. Um, you know, obviously with um, some of the travel restrictions uh, towards the, the beginning of the gradient period. Um, he um, wasn't coming in, and then uh, you know, finally, I think it was was it Don Taku was the first show that he kind of came back in, in Japan, had that surprise attack, to set, right. set up the Dominion match. So yeah, he was pretty much out of Japan for the first half of the year because oh yeah, that's right, he had visa issues as well. That's what that was what was really holding him back besides the COVID restrictions. 
Um, so yeah, so he was gone from Japan. He was doing a lot. Of, he was doing the USOJ Open Challenge on Strong, which was really good. And had a lot of good matches against guys like uh, Swerve and um, Jay Lethal and Chris Saban, which we saw here in uh, Tampa. Um, so that w- that was fun for him, but. For somebody who is like a main eventer in the World Heavyweight Champion and just kind of doing stuff on strong the first half of the year, it's kind of a, I think probably makes his case a little bit weaker compared to other years for him. Uh, and then he comes back in, he wins the title, and it's kind of been lackluster um, reign. We've talked about it on the show. You know, his, his reign hasn't been super great, and, you know, the, the match for Okada going to the Dome has been really cold. Yes, all of that is true. I'll play devil's advocate. Um, Even though there's less eyes on it, he made the best of a bad situation where he was unable to get into the country and had to. He basically was the de facto face of the U.S. expansion, doing the U.S. of J. Open Challenge, like you mentioned. And sure, the matches themselves weren't like the tip, tip, top tier, but they were probably definitely a league above what we were used to seeing on those. U.S. strong tapings. So he did have a uh, kind of his own J-verse going on over <laughs> here in the United States, which was cool. And then showed up in Japan, got the belt right away from, from uh, Okada. And, you know, certainly maybe he didn't necessarily have like the, he hasn't had the hottest reign, but he had a very strong G1. He was one of the top performers in his block, probably one of the best G1s he's ever had. And then uh, it's undeniable that the feud that he had with Tamatanga leading into the finals was also very compelling. I think it's been more so the lack of compelling content matches following the G1. That's kind of been the disappointing, you know, and uh, a lot of that comes down to the way that they have the briefcase situation going. And we've discussed that ad nauseum on other episodes. So it's, that's, that's another thing to discuss on another day. But um, I, I do think he has had a strong year. And, I mean, it's also, I mean, he's been the champion for half a year. It's kind of hard to take <laughs> that away from him. Right. Uh, Shingo Takagi, a uh, guy who was entering in the grading period as the, the world champion. Uh, and leaving the KOPW <laughs> champion. That's <laughs> uh, <so> awesome. <laughs> Starting off on super high high. He had that first, uh, the main event at Wrestle Kingdom with Okada, which was an excellent matchup there. Um, and then yeah, like Josh mentioned he kind of he kind of fell down into the, the KOPW realm, but still having uh, great matches. Um, the the stuff with Taichi, the, all the, the the count matches for the KOPW was great. The the feud of ELP, uh, the two matches they had um, were really fun. And then he had a great G one, uh, you know, the match with Osprey and some of his other matches there, the Yoshihashi match, Ishii match, uh, New Japan Cup. Was mm-hmm. great, and again, if you really value high in ring work and you're voting, like Shingo's definitely a guy you got to look at night in, night out. Whether it is the the main event of the Tokyo Dome or it's the main event for KOPW, he's going out there and killing it. Yeah, there's quite a few matches of his that are uh, very, very high end. Whether it was Will Ospreay, Kazushiko Okada, um, like you mentioned, ELP, Tai Chi. He had an incredible match with Ishii during the New Japan Cup. He had an incredible match with uh, ZSJ during the New Japan Cup. He had an incredible match with uh, Hiromu during the New Japan Cup. So his body of work has been stellar. He just hasn't been in the same status of trajectory that he was before losing the title. He hasn't been uh, kind of slotted as a top five, top six guy 
since he dropped the strap. So that's kind of the one knock, but his body of work is still very much outstanding. And I mean, he's kind of found a way to persevere even with what amounts to somewhat of a deep push. Yeah. Um, and then let's see, I think last, per- Oh, got two more people here. Uh, two, two Brits. We got to talk about uh, Zach Sabre jr. Uh, Zachy they don't two like cups. to be called Brits. They like to be called Brubs. <laughs> uh, two Brubs here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach Saber Jr. won his second New Japan Cup this year. Uh, another guy with just a stellar in-ring year. Um, you know, Dangerous Tickers, they lost the belts at Wrestle Kingdom. And then, but this year has been really a focus on Zach as a singles uh, wrestler. And so ever since then, yeah, the New Japan Cup, his uh, G1 run, he, had the, he won the New Japan Cup and had that title match with Okada at Hyper Battle. Uh, which was a, another great matchup in, in their uh, history. And so, yeah, I mean, overall, Zach's another really st- super strong in-ring year for him. Yeah, I mean, during the first quarter of the year, we were singing his praises, saying that if we if we were to, you know, call for a wrestler of the year at that point in time, it would have been him undoubtedly. Um, unfortunately, the, the company hasn't necessarily pushed him to quite the same levels, but he had an incredibly strong G1, an incredibly strong New Japan Cup, and has just been stellar all throughout the year, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely he's been a ton, ton of fun to watch and really, you know, with the the promos, him st- speaking more in Japanese and, and some of the stuff with using the young lines to dress up, up as him. Um, overall, across the board, promos, in-ring work, just presentation. I think, yeah, it's been a great year for Zach. And then finally, we've got Will Ospreay, you know, the aerial assassin, the sniper, or what's his new name? The, uh, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth King. Kingpin, the leader of the United Empire. And for many people, I'm guessing he's probably going to be the favorite to win this award. Just, uh, you know, you look, we're going to get to match of the year here. I think we got like 11 or 12 matches. His name's on half of them, which really kind of says a lot about his top end work. But top to bottom, whether it was in multi-man matches with the United Empire, uh, you know, um, tournament matches, main events on big stages, he's he's really delivered just pretty much across the board at the top end level. And many people are talking about, is this year better than, as, as far as in-ring work and output, is this year better than his legendary 2019? And for me, I would say no, but he's truly cemented himself as a tip top player, top guy in this company right now. And, um, you know, obviously he's got the big wrestle kingdom match coming up with Kenny. So they've got big plans down the, the stretch from the, the two knocks. I would say when it comes to Osprey, things you might want to take into consideration that would go against him. Number one, um, while he has spent a lot of time as the U S champion, he was never able to, regained the IWGP World Heavyweight title. He never was able to win the big tournaments this year, even though he came close in the G1. And um, he wasn't able to beat Okada in any singles matches. So that's, you know, there were some, as far as the booking, as far as his, you know, kayfabe win-loss, that's a knock against him. The second thing is kind of like with the injuries and some of the travel stuff, he wasn't always consistently in the country. Now, when he was out of the country, <laughs> he was pretty much killing the game in the UK and in the US. But um, 
that would be the only two things that I could see as being real detriments to someone uh, or, you know, those, there's a lot of people that just don't like Will Ospreay. That's true too. Right. Yeah. I mean, also you mentioned, you know, US, he was uh, featured a lot on the, the strong uh, pay-per-views. He was on uh windy That's city true. riot. He was on capital collision. There was a special United empire strong episode where he faced homicide. Yeah, um, he main event a lot of those pay-per-views and kind of carried that business. Yeah. So it featured heavily on new Japan of America uh, he had a Wrestle Kingdom main event uh, against Okada, um, added a little bit of stability to the U.S. title uh, coming into the, the latter half uh, of the year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, the promos, the presentation, the, the match quality, like, I mean, to me, he he has everything that you would look for in, in a wrestler of the year. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I'll just be transparent here. I, I haven't figured out everything I'm going to vote for, but I, I think for me, Will Ospreay's a slam dunk number one vote for me. Yeah, same here. All right, let's move on to uh, match of the year. So our nominees for that, we got Kazuchika Okada versus Shingo Takagi from Wrestle Kingdom 16, night one. We have Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay from Wrestle Kingdom 16, night two. We have Shingo Takagi versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the New Japan Cup. Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the New Japan Cup. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Tomohiro Ishii from Wrestling Dantaku. El Fantasmo versus Robbie Eagles from Best of the Super Juniors 29. Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay from the G132. Shingo Takagi versus Will Ospreay from G132. Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay from G132. Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay from Battle Autumn. FTR versus Aussie Open from Royal Quest 2. And Kairi versus Mayu Iwatani from Historic Crossover. Yeah, so I mean, um, pretty diverse uh, group of matches this year that were listed. And there were some really tough cuts when it came to, you know, figuring out what was going to meet the category here. We did normally we like to keep it like eight to 10. And in rare cases, we'll kick it out to like 12 or more if we really, really have to. In this case, we did make some exceptions, but. As far as that diversity I mentioned, I mean, we got stuff from Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan Cup, you know, the regular shows, G1s, obviously, but we've got a best of the Super Juniors. So there's a junior match that's listed in here. Mm-hmm. We've got a tag match in FTR versus Aussie Open, which that's pretty rare. And then we also have, for the first time ever in this show's history, uh, a women's match because there has never been a high-profile women's match like this in the five-year history of this show. And this match really blew us away. And yeah, Kyrie Mayu belongs right up there with your Will Ospreys and your Shingos and your Okadas, all that. Yeah, and I know a lot of people, if you see something missing, I mean, we're sorry. We, we, we went, we looked at cage match. We, we looked at grapple. We did our, our own ratings. Yeah. This, this is what we felt is, is the, the best of the best uh, from New Japan from 2022, um, from the grading period. Yeah, I mean, New Japan had a stellar year, maybe not in every aspect of what you would uh, consider success for a wrestling company. But when it comes to the between the ropes in the ring quality of the product, they're still probably the highest output wrestling company when it comes to great matches. And it's always really difficult for us when it comes to match of the year, because we're, we're kind of getting down to the nitty gritty of like, is this four and a quarter or is this four and a half star match better than this four and a half star match? Like, what do you think? I don't know. It's really, really tough. And so there are some omissions 
it's not because we overlooked them. It's because we cut them. We had to. <laughs> <laughs> we considered all of them, but uh, this is what we, I, I feel like we did a pretty good and fair job when it comes to this one. Um, far as standouts, anything you want to discuss real briefly? Um, so standouts, um, I mean, for me personally, um, I loved Okada Shingo uh, night one Wrestle Kingdom 16 match. Uh, I know that's probably a little bit on the lower end for some other people or maybe have forgotten or not as talked about. I thought that was just a really um, incredible main event for that. And really, it's a great way to kind of cap, you know, cap off Shingo's uh, great title run that he had. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really hard hitting match. Just some of the counters I remember for that match were just so good. And I, I you know, in my heart, I knew that, you know, Kyle was winning, but. I really wanted Shingo to win, and just I, I was bi- I was biting on every near fall, and anytime Shingo got close, I was like, "Come on, Shingo!" But yeah, of course, Okada ended up winning. But yeah, that that's a standout match. I think people should probably, if you have time, rewatch that one uh, when when you're voting because I feel like that's one that's kind of a sleeper here. Yeah, with the cachet of the Wrestle Kingdom brand name and everything like that, you would think that given the principles involved and given the stakes and the stage that this would have been one of the highest rated matches of the year. But this is one that we were very much on the chopping block with just not based on our opinion, but based on the general consensus that's out there. And yeah, we ultimately just decided like it, it would be pretty asinine based on the importance and, and also the quality of the match to, uh, to kind of cut it. So I was a little surprised there. Um, I guess two well, four matches, I'll just kind of couple them all together because they're right in the same family. You got two Osprey versus Okada matches, and you got two Osprey versus Naito matches. The the two Osprey Okada matches are going to be from Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 and the G1 Finals. And then you've got Naito and Osprey from um, Battle Autumn as well as the G1 D Block Finals. And this is an interesting thing here because these four matches were blow away. Incredible, incredible, just so, so, so great. But I'm really wondering if these four matches, considering how highly regarded they are, how great they were and the people involved that there's three guys in these four matches that are kind of sharing this same space. If this is going to split the vote in any way, when it comes to match of the year in, in the past, We've seen similar things like this play out. And what typically ends up happening, we see that the voters generally tend to favor one or the other of these, uh, you know, when it, when there's a split situation. Mm-hmm. But because all four of them involve Will Ospreay, and because generally online it seems like there's less of a, uh, of a split, concise, you know, consensus, like they're all pretty equal. I think it's going to make it really interesting this year when it comes to match of the year. Yeah, I think the 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 the, the race this year it's going to be really fun to watch. Like you mentioned, yeah, I think we're definitely going to see votes split between those two matches. People are going to pick their favorites, um, just based off what I've been seeing. I think a lot of people like the Okada Osprey G One match better than the Wrestle Kingdom match, and I think people right. people like the the uh, the Battle Autumn match Naito Osprey better than the G One match. Yeah, and I think I'm like the inverse of that in both cases. I I don't know. I I kind of feel like I need to rewatch the Okada Osprey matches. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's what I'm kind of seeing as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. At this point, I have no idea how I'm how I'm, I'm going to vote yet on those. 
uh, Robbie. Well, Eason. those those feel like the in most years those feel like if if just one of those happened, it would be the slam dunk choice in in a lot of cases. But because there's four of them and all and and the crossover, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, El Fantasmo and Robbie Eagles, you know, every once in a while we get a junior match that does break through onto this match of the year contender, and that's what uh, ELP and Eagles did this year in Best Super Juniors. Had yeah. an excellent uh, main event, and we kind of know the history uh, of their rivalry that kind of plays back to when Robbie left Bullet Club and Fantasmo came in and kind of replaced Eagles as Ishimori's partner. So a long backstory history between them, and that, that all spilled out in the Super Juniors uh, matchup on that night. And man, I remember us talking about just how great that yeah. was. Just the, I mean, the high flying, the, the violence, the hard hitting, the speed, the counters. Uh, this this one was kind of, uh, in my opinion, a little like a bit of a sleeper because even though there is all that backstory and history, it was kind of just in the middle of best of the Super Juniors. But then. Once you got to the main event, you're like, oh, shit, we're in Corkin. Oh, it's these two guys, and they hate each other. Oh, my God. And then little did we know, this was kind of the setup, the send-off for ELP in the junior division, and he would very shortly be joining the heavyweights. And, you know, just a shout-out to ELP. Had he perhaps maybe had just a tad more success in either the juniors or the heavyweights this year? We probably would have been talking about him in wrestler of the year contendership. He was not far from being considered. You know, what yeah, I mean, he was yeah. right on the cusp. Yeah, he was on the bubble, definitely. But yeah, this match, this match really ruled. I mean, the one thing that stands out in my mind is like the crazy stuff that they did on the outside with the dives and the one dive on the inside where like Robbie almost killed himself. Like it was really nuts. Yeah, these guys. See, yeah, I went out here and just had an absolute barn burner in, in that tournament, and definitely in consideration to be up here with all these other matches. Well, I got to tell you, Jeremy, for me, uh, and I know I'm an outlier here, I feel like the one of the most overlooked matches of the year was Tomohiro Ishii versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from Wrestling Dantaku. Like, for me, that, I don't know, I'll have to do some soul searching, but I'm leaning to that being my match of the year. And I'm not doing this to be a contrarian, you know, I'm doing it because I generally, genuinely actually think that that might be the match of the year in New Japan, but because it didn't because it was for like the U S title and it didn't have the same stakes and stage as perhaps a lot of these other matches. I do think it got a tad bit overlooked. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But, uh, I think that, um, I don't know, man, I just, the, those slaps and Ishii walking through Tanahashi <laughs> slaps and them, them doing each other shit. Like right. I just love this match. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Ishii doing the dragon screws, Tanahashi doing you know, the fighting spirit, you know, fire up, yeah, awesome matchup. And again, you know, if you, you guys have a couple of weeks, if you need to rewatch some stuff, definitely do that um, as you're as you're voting and making your choices here. But I think, yeah, for me, I, I'm definitely going to probably rewatch Ishii and uh, Tanahashi because, yeah, it's one of those where, where it's kind of like the beginning half of the year and it kind of gets forgotten about. Bro, if you if you were to just take this list of matches that we gave people and just treat it as like a, a you know, a comp list of 2022's best New Japan matches, you would be in heaven. These matches yeah. are incredible. It's a fire-like playlist right here. Um, well, you know, we got two Zack Sabre Jr. New Japan Cup matches back-to-back, and these were just two amongst a plethora of great <laughs> matches that he had in that tournament. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the match with him and Will Ospreay, it had that very controversial finish, which kind of started that whole 
conspiracy storyline with Will Ospreay and New Japan, that match is incredible. But the Shingo match too, like we were raving about how fantastic that match was as well. Both of those are like 1A, 1B of that tournament. Yeah, well, Shingo and Zach just created some incredible magic um, at the end of 2021 uh, with the match in the G1 and then the match, the title match at uh, Power Struggle, I believe it was, in mm-hmm. November of last year. Like, those matches were incredible. And then, yeah, so they got to just kind of recreate that magic once again in the New Japan uh, Cup matchup. Uh, Sabre getting the win uh, that time in the New Japan Cup this year. And, yeah, th- those guys, amazing chemistry. They have all the great counters. Like, that, that combination of, like, Shingo's, like, that high-speed Dragon Gate um, hard-hitting style mixed with Zach's, like, world of sport, let me tie you up style. Like, it, it all just works out so great together. Same thing, but in a different way when it comes to uh, Will and Zach. I mean, that both that pairing, those guys are so familiar and so, like, hand-in-glove. They're able to kind of go out there and showcase aspects of their game that they don't normally do with other people, and it's one of the most fluid and beautiful things that we see when it comes to wrestling. So uh, speaking of Shingo and speaking of Will Ospreay, those guys just added another classic to their resume. For my money, the single greatest in-ring rivalry of this generation since Kenny Omega and Kazushika Okada, nobody else is just guaranteed. There is no other pairing that you can give to me today that that we have like, you know, history of. Mm-hmm. that every time they go out there, they're going to get close to an all-time great match. And they literally go out there and put out, Not you know, we talk about like people that are like, oh, they they, they do four-star matches in their sleep. No, these guys are way above. They're like two levels above that. Dude, I mean, I mean the bar is like four and a half for them when the bell rings. That's the low end. <laughs> that's like the low end for their matches. It's really, really insane. And, you know, I feel like that that match during the uh, G1 was a match where people were really like, what's the best match of the G1? I don't know. Was it Osprey Naito, Osprey and uh, Shingo, or Osprey and, and Okada? It was really crazy. Yeah, I mean, so many great matches from the G1. But, yeah, that Shingo-Osprey rivalry is crazy to think that, like, they've only had one match in front of a cheering crowd, a fully cheering crowd, um, and they've been able to, to pull off all these incredible matches in the pandemic with uh, clap crowds. Well, at the tail end of the year, like I mentioned, we have two kind of anomalies on the list here in that we have a tag match and a women's match, which we don't normally get those on this type of award. But uh, at the tail end of the year, they went out there, FTR, Aussie Open. The hype was real. We were waiting weeks to actually (laughs) see this match. And, uh, you know, I know I'm a bit higher in this match than you are, Jeremy, but for me, just one of, simply put, one of the absolute greatest tag team matches, maybe not in history, but in the history of New Japan, absolutely. It's like a top five all-time tag match in New, J- in New Japan, and it's just magic. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the general consensus pretty much agrees with you. Everybody loved this match. Uh, tons of uh, stars being thrown at this thing, and it was a great tag team match, and definitely kind of broke through and broke the barrier. And even like you mentioned, even with it being on tape delay, uh, it still got a ton of rave reviews. Everybody loved it. Yeah, they went out there and killed it. Aussie Opens had an uh, incredible year. And, of course, we'll talk about tag teams of the year. But they've had a great year in New Japan, uh, stuff they were doing on Strong, and then finally coming into Japan here, challenging uh, FTR at Royal Quest 2. Um, 
so yeah, and you know, we we kind of bash FTR every once in a while because you know this this was their first defense for in like three months of having the title, but they went out there and you know they call themselves top guys and they, they looked like top guys in this matchup here. We, we don't bash FTR; we criticize appropriately. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Wrestler of the year. <laughs> uh, yeah, then you mentioned uh, the the women's match from historic crossover: Kyrie and Mayu Iwatani. These women, there's, yeah. uh, you know, great history and rivalry between them. And, you know, we kind of predicted it would come down between uh, these two ladies. We know some news came out um, this week about um, kind of the, the planned finish. Initially, Mayu was uh, planned to win this thing, um, but there were some contract negotiations that didn't seem to work out. And they I reject up. that. I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> and I don't they, care how I don't care how valid the source is. I, I Kyrie is my champion. <laughs> yeah, Kyrie won. She's a champion. Yeah, it was an awesome matchup for the the main event of that show. These two ladies they went out here, killed it, hard hitting. I literally was like like jumping off my seat and screaming when Kyrie was hitting those spinning back fists to Mayu. You know, we're we're gonna get to fight of the year, and it never dawned on me until this moment. Maybe we should have thrown Mayu and. Kyrie on to fight of the year. That's how like freaking vicious that match yeah, it was. was. Pretty violent. Yeah, maybe that we probably overlooked it for that category, but uh, definitely it fits in this category. And man, the story, um, the moves, just the the it just it felt like a big historical moment, and it was you know crowning the first ever IWGP Women's Champion. I, I know I'm not the biggest um, connoisseur of Joshi, so uh, there's plenty of people that have seen a lot of reportedly content and matches that are probably better than this. But for me in my fandom, I have to say it's one of the greatest women's matches I've ever seen and kind of had that special feeling that like Sasha and Bailey had in Brooklyn for me. Yeah. And you know, also just the historic nature. I, I the, the, the fact that that was the name of the pay-per-view is very apt, you know, first time ever new Japan branded IWGP women's champion and uh still remains to be seen how that's going to go but this match ruled and all these matches ruled and i think it's gonna be tough i i think this year is tougher than most years to actually name the rest the the match of the year i i have my guess to what i think it probably will be i wouldn't be surprised if like the g1 finals ends up winning just based on what i'm seeing but uh it might be closer this year than it normally is yeah so let's move on to show of the year. Our nominees, we have Wrestle Kingdom 16, Night 1, Wrestle Kingdom 16, Night 2, Best of Super Juniors 29, Night 7, Windy City Riot, Capital Collision, Wrestling Dontaku, Forbidden Door, G1 Climax 32, Night 12, Battle Autumn, Night 16, and then Historic Crossover. So this is a this is a, a category where I would encourage you guys if you're making your vote to actually go back, whether it's Wikipedia or Cage Match or some or even New Japan's website, and look at the actual shows that we uh, like top to bottom. Look at them to kind of jog your memory, kind of refresh it because you might, you know, do the. The, the normal thing, like, well, it's like, well, I'm going to vote Wrestle Kingdom Night 1 and Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 and then, you know, throw on a Battle Autumn or something like that. But I feel like this year is a lot different. Like, 
in the history of this show, normally it's going to be like a Dominion or a Wrestle Kingdom. That's the top show of the year. But I, I got a feeling that that's not actually what took place this year. There were quite a few other shows that, in my opinion, were just as good or even better for different reasons than some of the top marquee, pro, you know, shows that we normally see. So uh, it might be now. I, I don't think we're going to go match by match and give you a full breakdown of each of these uh, events. So it kind of falls on you guys listening. Go ahead and actually look at what you saw in those matches, the results, you know, everything like that, and kind of um, make your 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 judgment at that point. Yeah, like like we were saying as we were preparing these nominees, you know. Um, for us, for me and Josh, like when we look at a car, look at these shows, like for us, we want we look for like a well-rounded show, a show that has a, a great supporting undercard, and then yeah, some you know great banger main events. Where I feel like other people that they look at cards and they they look at the main events, it's like oh, if the show had you know a, a four-plus main event, but the undercard was weak, some people still consider that. Um, you know, a show of the year if it had like a you know a five just a five star or a four and a half match on it. Um, but for us, we're more of like, all right, let's look at let's look at the undercard. Like, oh, there was a bunch of random six man tags that weren't that great. Like, no, like that's not that's not show of the year contender. We we want to show right. that from start to finish um, has uh, a great flow, great set of matches, and I think that's what we have here with our nominees. Um, me and you know, Forbidden Door. I think one of the one of the best shows of the year that is co-promoted with New Japan and AW. Um, but I mean, from top, even from the pre-show to the very end of the show, like that was a show that I think was very consistent throughout and had great matches all up and down the card. Yeah, like like Jeremy said, just to kind of explain that even just a little bit further, um, we'll look at a, a show that is very highly rated. We'll go, we'll look into the actual show and it's like the top two matches are super high end. Maybe like, okay, for instance, uh, to give you guys an example, Royal quest, we don't have any Royal quest nominated here. And those were definitely special shows. Great crowd, you know, in the UK kind of different vibe, but like when you look at like, say the first night, it's a two match card and everything on the undercard is kind of weaker. We typically tend to disqual not disqualify, but choose more well-rounded shows that maybe like, for instance, um, you know, I don't know, like, let's say, I don't know, capital collision. Maybe it didn't peak at the top end of like in the main event and in the semi main event as high as say like real quested, but it's just a more enjoyable night top to bottom. And that's something we really do take into consideration when we, we make these nominations. Um, one thing you'll notice right off the bat, very, I mean, just one G1 night, no other G1 nights. And that has a lot to do with the format change. When you have, you know, typically uh, in the past, when you have five G1 matches on each night of the, the tour, that endears itself, especially if it's a strong block with really great matches to having those awesome G1 nights and tournament was fine. It was great. It, it was enjoyable, but because of the, the changed format and everything, there just weren't those really strong, great G1 nights that we're used to seeing kind of opened up this uh, category to a lot more shows. And we only had the one G1 night now, G1 night 12, that's a strong night. It's definitely one you want to check out, but it's it's the only one we nominated. 
Yeah, which is pretty crazy when you look back at the history of the awards. So, yeah, you guys go out, you know, like Josh said, check out Wikipedia, Cage Match, uh, Grapple, uh, whatever wrestling news site you like to use. Look at the results. Look at the, the shows. Look at the ratings and do your research and uh, pick what you think is the, the best show of the year. What, 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 one thing I, I will point out, we've got what I would consider three dome shows. So you got Wrestle Kingdom Night 1, Night 2, and then Dantaku, which was also a dome from the Fukuoka Dome. Yeah. Then you've got two tournament nights in Best of Super Juniors 29.97, which was nothing but tournament matches top to bottom, an incredible show. And then G1 Climax 32, Night 12. No New Japan Cup whatsoever. Then you've got a couple U.S.-based shows. You've got Windy City Riot and Capital Collision, as well as the aforementioned Forbidden Door. And Forbidden Door is kind of also something that you can couple into the crossover show. So you've got historic crossover with Stardom and then Forbidden Door with AEW. And then finally, Battle Autumn is kind of like your one lone domestic B-level pay-per-view that's kind of listed here. And um, all these shows were fantastic. I, I not totally set myself on which one I'm going to go with. I remember really loving Don Taku, though. Yeah, Don Taku was a lot of fun. I feel like there's a lot of great matches, a lot of great angles uh, set things up for the future that happened on that show. Actually, you know what? To be honest, now I'm looking at I'm probably going to vote for Bidden Door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that show was just I- incredible. Also, I mean, I think we'll get a lot of historic crossover votes, too, so... Uh, Wrestle Kingdom has a, and you'll also notice no Wrestle Kingdom Night Three. Yeah. As as cool as that was, it just did. the The top two end matches were fantastic. It just didn't deliver top to bottom the way that the rest of these shows did. Yeah. So let's uh, move to the uh, Jushin Thunder Liger Junior of the Year Award. Our nominees: we have the Wild Rhino Clark Connors, El Desperado, the Sniper of the Skies Robbie Eagles. The current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori. We have the Ticking Time Bomb, Hiromu Takahashi. And we have one half of Catch 2-2, TJP. Yeah, so this was one where uh, I actually had very little to do with the nominations here. Jeremy kind of uh, was helping me at- helped me out picking up the slack. And so I kind of needed to go over it with him and be like, why, why are these guys? Why not? Why isn't Watto in here? Why isn't ELP in here? <laughs> but once we started like doing the discussing, I, I definitely think that this concise group is probably the right guys. Uh, we could start with Clark Connors. He's the first guy we got listed here. And I feel like the name of the game with him is improvement because this is a guy that like at the end of last year was sort of like hovering in that just freshly graduated kind of environment. And then, really made a name for himself in the first half of the year in New Japan uh, strong, got to the point where he was like a viable and believable contender and challenger for the strong openweight title, had that series of matches, and then came to Japan finally after the long wait, had his run through the Super Juniors Tour, had a, a rough start in the beginning, but ended up with a respectable point total, but had awesome performances all throughout the tournament. And ever since then, like, uh, not to mention also his uh, his kind of star-making performance in that All-Atlantic four-way during Forbidden Door. So 
I really feel like Clark has done a lot this year to kind of make a name for himself. Yeah, and even like the the Ishii match that led into uh, the Forbidden Door four way that match uh, was great. And yeah, Clark's just had uh, a great year. Yeah, getting over at Forbidden Door and yeah that Super Juniors run and everything he did in New Japan of America uh, was just really good. And yeah. I, I like Clark Connors a lot. Um, you know, not a fan of what's going on right now with Wild Hips, but uh, when he's in, <laughs> when he's in a singles role and he, he gets some time to shine, he, he's a definitely guy to watch. Uh, next up, we've got El Desperado, who I think is gonna be for many people probably their pick for uh, Junior of the Year. He had a very strong start in the beginning of the year, kind of running through the. Uh, division as the champion but was sort of uh surprisingly upset for the title by taiji ishimori around like what was that may yeah that was uh don taku yeah so don taku and has kind of been without the title but even in the midst of that there's a lot that he has done he went through two super junior tournaments that's something that a lot of people forget in this grading period for this period you've got the Super Juniors tournament that ran in December of 2021, and then the one that ran in May of this year, and they both fell in the same grading period. And he was a guy that was like probably the top performer in both tournaments, if not, you know, maybe Hiromu was in the 2021 one, but he was either 1A, 1B. Right. And then was for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the top performer in this year's Super Juniors, giving almost everybody who wrestled their best matches really making an incredible accounting of himself. And then the amount of ring time and match time that he put in between those two tournaments was like astronomical. It's kind of like mind blowing. And then you also got to take into consideration the crazy stuff he's been doing this year with his death matches. That's Mm -hmm. really been making a name for him with the John Moxley match in America, the stuff with June Kasai. It's kind of been a crazy year. So even though he hasn't held the title the whole way, um, oh, and he what he did beat uh, Hiromu Takahashi. He defended the title in the dome, um, January, whichever night it was. So yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, defeated Hiromu there. He also had the the traditional champion versus champion match of Okada in the opening round of the New Japan Cup, which was a, a great. A lot matchup. of people gave a lot of acclaim to that match. Yeah, so yeah, Despri, yeah, great year. He was a favorite to win, and uh, I'm still kind of surprised that he didn't end up winning. Super Juniors uh, this year. Um, and yeah, I kind of feel like when you look back at it now, I feel like taking the belt off of him to put on Ishimori was kind of the wrong call um, for this year. But yeah, I mean, standout guy, like you mentioned, two Super Juniors, um, definitely ha- highlight moments. Uh, even, you know, low-key moment at Forbidden Door, uh, him and um, Kanemaru against uh, Swerve in Our Glory. Oh, that match was fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, Despy all over the place. The, the John Moxley match, uh, Music City Mayhem, uh, mm-hmm. that, that pay-per-view. Like, yeah, um, Despy's done a, a ton of great stuff this year. Yeah, then we got Robbie Eagles next up. Now, Robbie uh, hasn't, he didn't hold the the junior gold this year like he did last year during last year's grading period. But when you take a look at his match output and his performance between both super juniors, he's at the very, very tip top for all the juniors in this, in this, uh, in this company at this point in time. And then you kind of combine that too, with like the tag team that he's had going with, uh, 
uh, flying or the flying tiger with a uh, tiger mask four. And he definitely also held the junior tag team title during this grading period in the early part of the year as well. So there has been a lot of success that he's had plus not to, you know, forget the one match of the year that we have listed for juniors is the match he had with El Fantasmo. Um, also one last thing on the outside of, um, uh, you know, from an excursion standpoint, he won the Coliseum tournament, which is the most prestigious tournament in all of Australia and Aussie wrestling. So he's he's had a pretty phenomenal year himself. Yeah, I think he's also had a handful of uh, New Japan Strong appearances um, that's as true. well. So, yeah, another guy that's kind of been... A run in Mexico with CMLL. Yeah, representing New Japan in the Cibernetico. A lot of work with uh, the, the brand that they're trying to lift up, the Oceanic brand, Tamashi. So yeah. he, he's been doing a lot. Yeah, great year. Um, Hiromu Takahashi, uh, I mean, it's Hiromu. He won his uh, third back-to-back best of the Super Juniors. Um, again, we, we said it all the time on, on Keeping a Strong Style, he is the, the face of this junior division. He is the top junior star, the top junior draw, and we, we saw that again here this year with him, You know, winning that third Super Juniors in a row, having a great best of Super Junior tournament. Um, having one of the best junior matches of the year uh, against uh, Ishimori at uh, New Japan Road for the title. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, from that, from there on, he also had some strong appearances. Um, he had uh, that three-way with uh, Despy and uh, Blake Christian. Um, he's been kind of all over the place, and he's had a really great o- year. Open weight work, too, with the yeah, New the Japan Shin- Cup. Yeah, Shingo and match, yeah. He defeated Suzuki. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, some, some pretty big stuff there. But, I mean, the, the, I think the big... Uh, thing is even though he didn't hold the title even though he had some big title opportunities and losses this year the fact that he came up as the super juniors champion twice back to back within the same grading period that might be something that really challenges you know the the despy fans (laughs) (laughs) yeah um let's see who we have uh tjp so uh, for TJP, you know, he is one half, like I mentioned, of Catch 2-2. So winning the junior tag titles uh, in this grading period with Francesco Akira. He's also um, had a lot of uh, stuff happening in New Japan Strong. I feel like he was kind of one of the, the focal point guys on that show with the, the rivalry with uh, Mascot Arata and some of the luchadors and, and stealing uh, their mass. He had a really good best of the super juniors. He even had a, a strong open weight title match against uh, Fred Rosser this yep. year. I feel like he's really kind of upped his uh, stock here in New Japan this year. And man, this guy's just so smooth. It's so Chris, such a great wrestler. And he had a great in ring year. Yeah. I mean, um, and then also just getting to turn on the heel part of his personality. He's an underrated promo as well. Um, even before his super junior run, like he was already starting to really kind of make a name for himself when it comes to this category, uh, or at least make a claim to being a nominee. But after the work he did in the super juniors, and then after the tag team with catch 22 and after winning the, the junior tag team titles and being dominant in that division, which is something that is very rare, you know, we have to give him the nod last guy. The champion, the longtime champion here, Taiji Ishimori. Now, uh, I will say this. This has not been the strongest title run. He's had one 
title defense in, in 222 days, uh, which is not great. But uh, he's had an ongoing feud with uh, Kushida, um, which is still yet to be paid off. But the, the stuff that's going on right now with him and the four-way between him, Wato, Desperado, and Hiromu has been very great, including the tag match that they had recently at Battle Autumn. Uh, the defense he had against uh, uh, Hiromu and successfully defending the title in June was one of the best junior matches of the year. Really strong performances in both Super Juniors and then defeating, you know, division favorite Desperado to win that title. You, you can't knock the guy. He's had a, a very, very, very strong year on paper. Yeah, definitely. I think the only thing that to really kind of knock against him, like you mentioned, kind of just you know, just limited defenses um, since winning the title and the junior title picture. Um, pretty much since he won the title, has kind of seemed to be in just kind of a, a very uh, weird position. Um, also, he won the title, and then G one came, um, so there wasn't really a lot of time for defenses or to really you know build up anything for him. And then it seems like you know. The whole stuff with Kushida kind of got blew up due to Kushida um, getting hand, foot, and mouth disease. So um, kind of a weird kind of second half of the year for Ishimori. But like you mentioned, um, still had some great um, highlights uh, throughout the year and, and definitely uh, things that make him worthy of being um, a nominee here for Junior of the Year. All right, so let's move on to Tag Team of the Year. So the nominees we have... Aussie Open, Bishamon, Catch 2-2, Dangerous Techers, Jeff Cobb, and Great Ocon, and 6 or 9. Yeah, so we have some really strong candidates here. The first big omission, I'm sure you're all noticing, we should just nip it in the bud right now, there is no FTR (laughs) listed on this uh, nominee list, and it really comes down to Simply one thing, they've only had four matches in the entire grading period, which makes it very difficult, even though they are the current reigning champions, with one defense and four matches, it does make it difficult for us to include them in the actual um, nominations. Um, Even if we did consider them, which we did, when you kind of compare them to the groups that are here and the work that they've done and the accomplishments and body of work, it just doesn't really stack up and it makes it kind of superfluous to even really include them here. Yeah. I think it'd be a big disservice if we had <laughs> included them here. Um, when you look at the work that the teams that we did put on here have done, yeah, FTR just does not have the activity like you mentioned. So that's why they're not one of the nominees here. But um, let's talk first about uh, the new team that, uh, well, they've been around for a while, but new to New Japan, Aussie Open. They've had a very, very strong year. A um, lot of great work in the uh, New Japan Strong and New Japan of America brand before they were actually able to come over to uh, Japan, which was pretty recent. It was just like a month or two ago. Uh, but prior to that, they were working in New Japan Strong. They were the first inaugural champions. They won the New Japan Strong open weight tag team tournament um, had some great matches on the pay-per-views uh, along with the rest of United empire. Uh, the six man tag that they had against FTR at music city mayhem. 
then obviously the the big matches that they had over in the UK, namely the FTR one, which is outstanding. They came up short in that effort. Um, not to mention, you know, uh, at this point, I'm almost ready to say like AW is like a working relationship promotion and the stuff that they did with United Empire and the six man tag team tournament there has to kind of be considered somewhat. And then, um, yeah, they finally made it over to new Japan. And, uh, the only really big knock on them is they weren't in world tag league, but they are in, you know, right now they are for next year's grading period. Right. So yeah, I think definitely next year they'll probably have an even stronger case than they had this year, but I felt they did a, a lot in a short period of time really making a big impact. You mentioned winning those strong tag team titles, um, some of the feuding that they were kind of doing with uh, TMDK on strong, and then, yeah, transitioning over uh, in Japan, having the the FTR match, and then, I mean, once they got to Japan, I mean, they've been really strapping the rocket on them, giving them the full go push. Um, So, yeah, great year for Aussie Open. Uh, Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi, these guys won World Tag League, um, 2021, which is you know the beginning of this year's grading period, so they're the World Tag League winners. They went into Tokyo Dome, defeated Dangerous Techers, and won the the tag team titles. So kind of a great start to the year there, winning the tag team titles. And you know, ever since Goto and Yoshiashi have been put together and have been developing this team, they've gotten better and better and better. A great chemistry, tag team maneuvers, hard hitting. Um, these guys, they are like the, the top domestic tag team right now. Yeah, there was a time where they were kind of seen as just like a makeshift, random, you know, chaos duo. Just two guys that had nothing else going on and just kind of paired up. And we've seen a lot of like random pairings of chaos guys through the years. But very few of them have had the, the level of success that Bishamon has. Even just the fact that we're at the point now where they have a shared name, have been team, you know, music been teaming together for years and they're now starting to get, you know, um, similar tires really kind of go to show you that they, they are like a real tag team, but had a very strong showing in last year's world tag league, won the titles, defended the titles, you know, did good work in America as well. And like you said, they're the, they're the top domestic tag team. Bishamon has really had a great year. Um, the next team, they haven't been together for that long, but they've really, you know, made a name for themselves. Uh, and that's catch two, two ever since the end of world tag league, we've seen the the pairing of uh, Francesco Akira and TJP from the United empire. And these guys went from being total strangers to best buds, to tag team partners, to world champions, to, sitting on top of the division and defending the championship against multiple qualified tag teams, whether it was the LIG, LIJ team of Bushi and uh, Teton or six or nine who they uh, defeated for the belts. And they've been very dominant all throughout all these feuds and have also had several really great junior style um, tag team matches, which is something that's been missing from the company for a few years now. Yeah, that's kind of been their their mission statement. They they wanted to bring back the days of you know Young Bucks and Rapungi Vice and Red Dragon and you know all those great junior tag teams, and they wanted to surpass those junior tag teams. And I feel like they have done a great job of getting on the level of some of those great junior teams and kind of bringing back 
um, a fun junior division when you when you look at the the super junior lineup for the, that's happening right now, which is also going to count for next year's grading period. Um, they still they have a great set of teams for to be challenging going into next year, but I really feel like they have quickly you know become you know this you know foundation for the junior tag team division. They've made the division exciting again. A uh, really dominant team, like you mentioned, you know, a year ago these guys really didn't know each other; they weren't friends, and now like the, the chemistry they have is incredible. Uh, I feel like TJP has really helped kind of refine some of um, Francisco Akira's game. You know, Akira was already great, but I feel like you know TJP just kind of helped tighten some stuff up there in his game, and he's become a better wrestler teaming with TJP. And yeah, these guys are incredible. Last thing I'll say: this is the most, uh, you know cohesive and fun and exciting that the junior division's been since the days of Rapongi through K. Yeah. So um, moving on, we got dangerous techers and this one's a little tough because techers were champions at the start of the year. They had, uh, you know, a top end uh, tournament performance in world tag league as they do every single year. But then after they dropped the titles, they kind of spent less and less time together, but, the one reason that we kind of decided to keep them is like they still challenge for the belts later. They still um, per, uh, sporadically tag together, not just as a tag team, but also as a multi-man unit throughout the year. And that combined with the obvious like brotherhood and connection that these two guys have in the backstage promos, uh, that, that, that kind of cohesiveness has been on display even when they are off doing their own singles ventures, they're always still techers and they're always still kind of together. And when it comes time for tag league, they come back together, you know? And so that's kind of where we're at here. I would say probably not their strongest year that they've ever had, but just enough to where we were like, we can't leave them off the ballot. Yeah. They definitely kind of squeaked in here. Uh, I think definitely a lot of their work at the beginning of the grading period in the 2021 World Tag League, and of course, being the champions um, at the start of the grading period definitely helped there. This this could be their, their last year because, I mean, they're not in Tag League uh, this year, um, so that's not going to count. That's not, that's not going to help them in next year's grading period. Um, but, you know, for a long time, you know, all through the pandemic, they were the, you know, the, the focal point and the team that was carrying the division on their back. Um, and, yeah, this year wasn't as great as you know, last year or the year before. Was definitely still uh, one of the standout teams in New Japan. Uh, next up, we got Cobb and Okan of the United Empire. And until uh, Aussie Open made it to Japan, this has been the de facto um, heavyweight tag team for that United Empire unit. And we've talked about it year over year, uh, how successful they are, how few losses they ever take in any kind of tag team environment, whether it's, you know, your standard or multi-man, um, you know, like six man, eight man, 10 man tags. But um, what kind of separates this year from other years is in the past, they've just been guys that they throw on there and they, they run through everybody, but they're never really in that title picture. But this year, not only did they win the title and hold the titles, they won it multiple times throughout the year and really did establish themselves as like the premier tag team in the heavyweight division of new Japan for a good portion of the year. And the only times they dropped the belts were in multi-man situations where they themselves were not taking the pinfalls. It happened twice this year. 
And they ultimately were really gearing up for a, a major match between themselves and the new champions FTR, which of course they did come up on the short end back at battle autumn, but that match itself was also fantastic. So yeah, for me, Cobb and Okan has been just like, they're the premier team in new Japan when it comes to heavyweights this year. Yeah. I don't have too much more to add to that. I mean, guys have they've been super dominant. New Japan's done a great job of protecting them. Great. Okan has gotten over organically with the domestic crowd and even starting with the, with the Western audience too. And I feel like, you know, there's, they're, they're a great tag team, but also you have Aussie open. Now is kind of the, taking over as the main unit, uh, you know, tag team for the unit. Um, but Cobb and Ocon definitely put that work in and they're, they're a fun team. And I hope we will continue to see them team up, even though they're kind of shifting more towards Aussie open being the main team. Finally, we got six or nine, and this is kind of the unlikely duo of Master Wato and Ryazuki Taguchi. And this is a team that kind of was always sort of like laughed at and treated as kind of like a sideshow, sort of, or not sideshow, but sort of like a, a an underdog sort of team. And they've really been able to come together, put the puzzle pieces together, and, and find a lot of success this year. And we're able to gain the IWGP tag te- junior tag team titles. and. Um, which resulted in Master Watto getting his first ever gold in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, and, you know, Taguchi does do a lot of ha-ha, but I really felt like with uh, 6 or 9, um, there was a, a lot of really good matches that they had, you know, a lot against um, Catch 2-2 and a couple other teams. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned it's Watto's first title run. They're junior tag champs going into this grading period and having some defenses there. And, uh, you know, they're doing their thing. Actually, they're not teaming right now. That's right. Um, but they yeah, were they're kind of broken up. And it's it's uh, I'm wondering if we're going to see them paired up again or not. Yeah. But, yeah, they were in um, you know a junior team last year, too, as well. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I think, you know, being junior tag champs, having a really good year. Wato winning his first title. Some great defenses. Great um, title challenges. You know, they had rematches against uh, Catch 2-2. Uh, I think that they deserve to be on here with all these other teams. Great. Well, let's move on to the next category. We have the Carl Gotch Strong Style Award. And this is that award which is usually awarded to the individual that just exudes violence and precision, whether it be excellence on the mat with their technical acumen and their catch-as-catch-can stylings of tying people into knots and working submission holds and getting impressive pinfalls. But more importantly, the violent aspect of striking head, butts, knees, elbows, big suplexes, you know, the, 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 the type of fighting and wrestling that we all love. And we associate with the strong style brand of new Japan pro wrestling. And without further ado, the nominees this year are Tomohiro Ishii, the great Okan, Filthy Tom Lawler, Ren Narita, the Dragon Shingo Takagi, and finally Zach Saber Jr. Yeah, really tight list here of nominees for this award, and these are, you know, the 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 strongest of the strong here. These are the guys that went out here night after night. They were the ones that were throwing those big heavy forearms, like you mentioned. A lot of these guys bled a lot of their matches. Uh, Ren Narita had. Several uh, matches, the Juice Robinson match, um, the Jay Lethal match here in Tampa, 
uh, Narita was bleeding all over the place this year and just having some really hard uh, hitting matchup. But all these guys, they're throwing big bombs. They're throwing lariats and chops, heavy hits. And, you know, Zack Sabre Jr., he's the guy that kind of really shows the, the that original Carl Gotch definition of strong style. Like you mentioned, he's getting people in the submission holes, in the octopus, in the Clarky Cat, and all these other weird random names. But he's tying and stretching and putting people in these really painful uh, submission holes. And also with him putting on some muscle mass, he also has increased the striking. He's been doing uh, more European uppercuts, more boots, and more chops. So he's been including some of that uh, hard-hitting strong style as well as a mix with the submission game. Yeah, I mean, this is a list of guys. It, it, it's no surprise that these are either going to be your most um, legit shooter-style wrestlers or the guys that are just so crazy that they don't give a fuck. They're going to go out there, they're going to put their bodies on the line and hit you as hard as they pot, you know, give give as much as they get, like your Tomohiro Ishii's. And, um, you know, for, for our money, these are the ones that we felt most exuded that spirit. Um, you know, it, 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 this is a little different because we don't necessarily recap the year when it comes to like, all right, this is what they did that defined their strong style. I mean, it's, it's on the, it's on the screen. You see it, you <laughs> feel it and you hear it. And for me, like there's definitely other guys in the company, like your Hanares, your Gotos, your Tai Chi's that could be, you know, a Nagata Suzuki. Guys that definitely deserve to be here, but when we looked at the body of work, we looked at the list of great violent conflicts, and you know um, the display that was on, uh, you know the the violence that they put on display. We really we had to basically say these guys this year were a class above Ishii, Okan, Lawler, Narita, Shingo, and Zack. And I don't know, I, I mean, the one thing I will say before we go is like. Ishii has many times over been the guy that wins this and he's had a lot of fantastic matches. So it wouldn't shock me at all if he is the one that wins it. But there's some fresh blood here between Tom Lawler and Narita and Okan that I, th- I feel like they're going to give him a run for his money. Yeah. And Shingo has been another favorite uh, in these awards as well in this That's category. True. It's usually him and Ishii. They're kind of neck and neck, but like, like you mentioned, yeah, Narita's going to give them a run for the money. Filthy Tom Lawler. If you guys haven't been watching him on Strong, I mean, watch mm-hmm. some of his matches. Watch the Fred Rosser match. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, trying to think of some other matches that he had this year. Um, the Clark Connors match. Uh, homicide match. Yeah, the Homicide match. Uh, the the Ishii, Ishii match. match. Yeah, he's had a lot of hard-hitting matches. And Tom's kind of like Zach, too, a guy that kind of mixes in the, the strikes and the submissions. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be another one. I think it's going to be a very interesting one to watch as well. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's take a look at a feud of the year. Got uh, several feuds here. So we have the feud between Kazuchika Okada and Tetsuya Naito. The feud with the Gorillas of Destiny versus Bullet Club. So that encompasses, you know, the whole um, Tama Tonga and Tangelo getting kicked out of uh, Bullet Club and the whole rivalry with Jay White. Uh, we have the feud between Fred Rosser and Tom Lawler. The feud between Shingo Takagi and El Fantasmo. A feud between the United Empire and Los Ingobernables de Japón. House of Torture versus Chaos. Shingo Takagi versus Taichi. And the Android Alex Coughlin versus the most feared J.R. Kratos. Yeah, this is a very interesting list of feuds because 
there's, you know, our feud of the year, again, just to kind of give you guys, if, you, if you're not familiar, there's a, a lot of different kinds of feuds in New Japan and, and ways we kind of give that branding. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there are definitely times where there are personal issues, you know, a blood feud, two guys that hate each other. They want to get it, get at each other. That's your classic Coglin and Kratos. I, they've only had a couple matches through the grading period in singles, although they've had many, many multi-man matches. And these guys just between the angles and everything, they just hate each other. But then you also have, you know, your type of feud that is based on in ring, you know, just the, the stories in the ring. And that's kind of what you got with Okada and Naito, where it's like, it's not a personal feud. There's not a lot of hate and hatred and, storyline stuff it's just the the collection of the series of matches they had and these guys probably had the best trilogy in new japan this year and then you have other situations where it's like it's a little differently defined because maybe it's an entire unit or a team against another team and that's kind of what we see with like united empire versus lij or house of torture versus chaos um the one thing that we i'm not seeing here that we normally see a lot of and it's a little different we didn't have a lot of feuds based solely on in-ring um rivalries mm. like for instance um you know let's throw okada knight or okada uh, um omega oh, i'm sorry no osprey naito or osprey okada in both of those situations, people are like, why aren't they on the list? It's like, well, they only had two matches. They were pretty spread apart. There wasn't a lot of personal animosity. And we just didn't feel like those two matches was enough to warrant inclusion on a list like this. But in the past, New Japan, especially Gato, has a knack for doing the trilogy and have or doing two matches in a close proximity with a personal element tied to it. We just didn't see a lot of that. So I think our feud of the year awards look very different as far as nominees than they normally do in other, you know, in subsequent previous years. Yeah. And that Osprey uh, Naito match, we kind of consider those two matches a part of the United empire versus LIJ feud. Cause there was, That's a, true. there was a ton of multi-man stuff that happened surrounding that you had catch two, two and Bushi and Teton feuding. You had several multi-man, you know, eight man, six man, 10 man tags between, these units um, happening from pretty much August to November. So at least those two factions are feuding a lot. A lot of title feuds, a lot of um, just different programs, like top to bottom, whether it was um, Osprey versus Naito, whether it was Catch 2-2 versus um, LIJ, you know, the junior team. There was a, there was a lot of, multi-man tag teams that were just kind of all throughout those tours going on um what as far as house of torture versus chaos it's a little different because that's a that's an actual isolated six-man tag team feud that we're kind of uh inferring there so you have the and this was kind of the program that defined the never six-man tag team titles this year uh we had a couple different versions of the chaos six-man tag team that faced off in numerous different stipulations and and matches throughout the year with the primary group from House of Torture, which was like Show, Evil, and Ujiro. Um, and Ujiro. Um, and this was even one that like 
culminated in that multi-dog match as well. So say what you will about House of Torture, but this was definitely something that was taking up a lot of time and space on the on the card this year in New Japan and, and one you may want to consider. Yeah, I think definitely one of the sleepers to look at, uh, the highlight real quick, is Fred Rosser and Tom Lawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people don't always watch New Japan Strong, but, I mean, this was one of the best rivalries across all of New Japan between Strong and what goes on in Japan. And um, these guys, it was very personal. I mean, you, you had the whole angle with Tom making Fred shave his own head in order to get a one more uh, match with him and just the, the hatred and just how physically intense that uh, their matches have been, especially the, the title change match where Fred won mm-hmm. the t- title from um, Filthy Tom. Um, this was a yeah, very hard-hitting, really heated personal rivalry. One, one of my favorite. In fact, I think that's going to beg the question how successful some of these New Japan of America feuds could be because – for my money, I think Fred Rosser and Waller is maybe one of, if not the most hate-filled thing I saw all year in wrestling. Coglin and Kratos hate each other and can't do enough to try and get their hands on one another. And it is going to be a wonder how that's going to perform against something that's a little bit more high-profile, like, say, G.O.D. and their conversion to Hontai and, you know... um, Tamatonga's uh, revenge storyline against Jay White, you know, and it's going to be very interesting to see how those two things play out against one another. Cause I'm wondering, are there enough eyes and awareness on some of these new Japan of America things, you know? Yeah. Uh, last thing I think we should touch on before we go uh, is just the two Shingo uh, feuds. He had two KOPW feuds that kind of uh, coincided, you know, subsequently and, the ELP who's your daddy feud, which has been filled with started off kind of goofy, but was filled with great matches. Kind of the same thing. Shingo and Tai Chi, two guys that, you know, were basically made chicken salad out of chicken shit. It was something that you were like, what, why is Shingo in the KOPW, you know, title picture altogether. And then they had multiple fantastic matches against each other and they're about to do it again. Yeah, yeah, Shingo, like I said earlier when we talked about him wrestling of the year, he's a guy no matter where he is on the car or what he's fighting for, he, you know, he does everything with excellence. And that's what we saw here with the KOPW and these two feuds with Tai Chi and ELP. Um, some really fun stipulations we saw there with like the, the different um, pinfall count matches with him and Tai Chi. And then over, you know, with ELP, you know, obviously the Who's Your Daddy, which I mean was just a straight-up singles match and well, that led into the the match, the New York City street fight that they had at the the, Hall- yeah. the Halloween um, New Japan of America pay per view, and that was a, a fun, hard hitting, crazy, wild matchup um, the, between those two guys. And so, yeah, Shingo has done a great job, kind of finding that KOPW, and these two feuds uh, really helped lift up KOPW this year. The last thing I've got to wonder is like you know Okada Naito again, not a personal feud, but one that was rich in history, rich in story, and was three incredible, compelling matches back to back to back. If something like that, just because there's a very, you know, because of how in-ring centric New Japan is and their fan base tastes can be, if that's something that's going to just supersede all of these personal feuds altogether, you know? Yeah. So uh, moving on, we have the 
Big Man Vader Gaijin of the Year. This award goes to the best uh, foreign talent that comes into New Japan. It has that spirit of old Big Man Vader coming in and uh, wrecking shop in Japan. So we Who's have, the fucking man? Who yeah. is the man <laughs> who's not from Japan, <laughs> but he's in Japan? Who is that guy? Uh, we have several great nominees. We have the top dog, Jonah, Filthy Tom Lawler, Will Ospreay, the Headbanger, El Fantasmo, Fred Rosser, Zack Sabre Jr., the good bad guy, Tama Tonga, and Switchblade, Jay White. I have to wonder, you know, I, I think a lot of people that vote are longtime listeners and longtime voters, and they kind of know what this award is about. But I do wonder if there's going to be those people that look at this and be like, Big Van Vader, I'm voting for Jonah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, Jonah is definitely obviously the closest in size and kind of maybe booking style to what a Vader would be booked like coming into uh, Japan. But it's not necessarily all about size it's just you know no. this is about the, the best foreigners obviously it's a, a japanese product so Jap, japanese talent or domestic it's about the best foreigners coming in whether they're from the u.s the uk um from australia new zealand wherever they're from um canada the best foreigners uh throughout the whole year and that's what we have here so but yeah jonah did have um a really good year came in wrecked shop he was undefeated on new japan strong Came in, had um, a fun G1, defeated Kazuchika Okada, had the rematch of Declaration of Power, got over huge with the crowd. crowd was, you know, they were breaking the law, <laughs> ooing and ong every time he hit that big torpedo splash. Breaking the law. <laughs> they were. They weren't allowed to cheer, and they were. They were making noise. They were making noise. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so definitely a fun year for Jonah. Yeah, when you think of top gaijins in New Japan, you're going to think of like your Kenny Omegas, your Dynamite Kids, you know, your Eddie Guerrero's, guys like that, Big Van Vader. And that's kind of what the spirit of this award is. Now, we've talked, uh, you did a great job there on Jonah. We've talked about Will Ospreay. We've talked about Zack Sabre Jr. and Jay White. I don't feel like we need to spend much more time on them. Um, we've even done, a, I, I feel like, a pretty good job on Tom Lawler, but uh, ELP. He's a guy that I'll just throw a little bit of praise on, someone that excelled in both the junior and heavyweight division, it really ex- broadening his horizons, showcasing what he's a- capable of in the ring in pretty much every aspect as a high flyer, as a brawler, as a comedy guy. And I he's getting to that point where he's right on the cusp of taking the next step and really making himself uh, a major player in the heavyweight division. And so, yeah, loving what, what we saw from ELP this year. Yeah, and the other person we should touch on real quick is uh, Fred Rosser. Um, we kind of talked about him a little bit, but he had a really uh, strong year this year. Like we mentioned the feud with him and Filthy Tom Lawler, some of those really personal angles that he go, had to go through to, to finally capture the strong openweight title. So he is, you know, the... He calls himself the People's Champion. <laughs> he he is the face of New Japan Strong right now, and he's had several defenses uh, since winning the title. I think that was back in May from Filthy Tom. So pretty much, you know, half the grading period being you know the main man on New Japan Strong um, had that the champion versus champion match with a Switchblade Jay White. Um, so overall, I mean, Fred Rosser. I mean, if you had told me that you know Darren Young, 
you know, one half of the primetime players was going to come <laughs> in to New Japan and be, you know, one of the top foreigners um, in the product, I would not have believed you. But he's, you know, done an excellent job, gotten better in the ring, and, you know, really had um, a stellar year. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't add more to that. And, uh, you know, if the news about Fred Rosser returning to WWE is, in fact, accurate, congratulations to him. But he's had an incredible year this year. Last guy that I just want to touch on, the good bad guy, Tamatonga. He's someone that took the step from not just being, um, you know, an overachiever in last year's G1 and not just a tag team guy to being an outright superstar in his own in his own right. You know, he's someone who through the storyline with uh, Jay White and the Bullet Club, he got him and his brother and uh, Ghetto or uh, Jado. They got ousted from the Bullet Club in Impact. They came back to Japan. They tried to draw the sides. We thought we were going to get a civil war. It wasn't a civil war whatsoever. <laughs> they were they were turned on by every single member of the Bullet Club, including blood, including family. And that lit a fire of rage in the heart and the belly of Tamatonga. We saw this guy win his first never openweight title. We saw him win his first block in the G1. We saw him defeat Jay White in singles action, have great standout matches, go out there and kill it with uh, Kazushiko Okada, kill it with Jay White once again, and really just have a standout year. And I think he's someone that maybe people aren't um, paying as much attention to for this award, but I wouldn't be surprised if you really think about it. He's got a, a strong candidacy. Yeah, I mean, he definitely elevated his stock this year and you know, he went from that guy where we're like, he has potential, maybe he doesn't, and, you know, really show the potential that he, he has. And he had a great uh, run uh, this year, the singles. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, kind of want him to get that IWGP world title. You know, I think he kind of peaked at the wrong part of the year. Um, so I, I think he's definitely, uh, look out for him for next year in your, in your New Japan Cups and your G1s. I think he is set up now to have a, a really good year. I only peek at Wrestle Kingdom in the main event at the Dome. (laughs) (laughs) So next up, we have Faction of the Year, and it's exactly what it sounds like. The faction that you like best, that you think ran shit in New Japan this year. Uh, We have your nominees, The Bullet Club, Chaos, Hontai, LIJ, Suzuki Goon, Team Filthy, TMDK, and the United Empire. One question, we didn't we throw in a house of torture. It's still a subunit. We didn't. I, I mean, technically, there's still a subunit of Bullet Club as of right now. I mean, we haven't released these awards. We got time to change this shit on the fly right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think every year we have this discussion. Are we going to do LA Dojo? Are we going to do House of Torture? Are we going to do Stray Dog Army? We always end up saying no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, they. I mean, just on principle alone, I don't think we could list House of Torture. No, yeah, the, and no universe are those guys the, the faction, faction of, the of the year, no. Well, uh, it's a pretty simple thing, though. Um, it really comes down to, is Suzuki, or is LIJ going to win this award for another year? Because they win it literally every year. Last year was probably the closest that it's ever been to someone challenging them. I think Suzuki-Goon came, uh, you know, just a hair's length away from defeating them and very close race last year. But, you know, this time we've got the inclusion of 
the United Empire, the full-strength United Empire with all the new additional members in Japan. Catch 2-2, Aussie Open, Gideon Gray. Not to mention TMDK, the oldest faction. Actually, I don't know if that's true. They might not be older than Suzuki-Goon, but they're pretty close. One of the oldest factions, and that that's, you know, Mad Mikey Nichols, Shane Haste, uh, Bad dude Tito and Jonah, if he decides to stick around Japan. <laughs> yeah, and so they came in and reformed and had a big impact on New Japan Strong. And then you had uh, Bad dude Tito and Jonah coming over to Japan. Also, yeah, I guess uh, Hayes was there too uh, with those guys as well. And, and now I'll see uh, Hayes and Nichols are in World Tag League. But yeah, TMDK has uh, established himself once again as, as a faction, as a unit. And they've been kind of doing uh, great stuff in both strong and in Japan. Yeah. And I mean, you, you got your old favorites, Bull Club Chaos, Hontai, Suzuki Goon. They're here. They all, every single one of these groups had champions, had great stories, had great reigns. It's really just going to come down to you taking a look at the year and feeling like, in my opinion, who ran shit? Like, who def- who is the defining face of New Japan Pro Wrestling? And Year over year, it's always Lij, but I got. I'm going to tell you, Jeremy. I, I think it's time to put the crowns up. I think this is the first year where I feel actually confident they're not winning this award. Yeah, I, I don't so, know. I, I, yeah, I think United Empire is going to have a really strong case. When that's you, that's the group that I'm thinking is going to win as well, just based on how much gold, how much success, how many great matches they've had, and the popularity. Uh, but then again, it's a Gaijin group. That's true. I mean, they got Ocon in there, though. <laughs> That's true. And also, Will Ospreay is their leader, and a lot of people like Will Ospreay. Right. So that's gonna be that's gonna be one to see. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how this one plays out. Yeah. So then we got most improved, and obviously this is going to the the wrestler or team or actor we feel has been most improved. And now again, similar to other categories, there's kind of multiple ways you can kind of look at this, but. Um, you know, usually it could be, you know, most improved in ring, most improved in a, in a kayfabe standing, like maybe they were, you know, an a, a opener kind of guy that they advanced up to a, a main event. They maybe they improved in promos. There's different different areas that uh, people could have improved in. I feel like a majority of the nominees here, a lot of it is focused in on the in ring. Um, so our nominees, we have the Wild Rhino, Clark Connors, uh, the Rebel, David Finley. The Ultimate Weapon, Aaron Hanare, Hikaleo, The Jet, Kevin Knight, Fred Rosser, Tamatonga, and Master Watto. Yeah, this is one of my favorite categories that we do because, you know, you can nominate your wrestlers of the year, your strong style guys, but, you know, it's really great to kind of give recognition to those that further their game or, you know, elevated their stock within the company itself. and that's what, you know, I, I feel like it's a combination of all those things for almost every single one of these guys. We, we talked a, a lot earlier during junior of the year about Clark Connors and the advancements and improvements that he's made. But he, he really is a guy that went from being like this junior, um, you know, dojo guy to kind of being a player now. Even I mean, even in May, he wasn't a player, but now it's starting to feel like he's really on the cusp of being a, a an actual player in the the junior division so a lot and then plus just not only not only that but like the growth in the ring from a character standpoint the 
the facials, everything. Yeah, just a really great year. Uh, David Finley, you know, he's a guy that we beat the drum about. You know, he needs to show us something. He needs to show us something. And I think this year he finally uh, did, you know. Uh, show us something. Yeah, it was a G1 and uh, the match with Osprey at Battle Autumn. Like, he really showed a ton of fire there. Uh, I think he improved on the promos and definitely yeah, just showed that fire and definitely improved in the ring. Yeah, I want to see the follow-up from that Osprey match from him, um, from Battle Autumn, and see how he's going to capitalize on the momentum he gained during the G1. But I got to tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Finley is the guy that takes this this award this year, which really is saying something. And he did improve a lot in so many different ways, but the matches he he put on this year were fantastic. Um, Aaron Hanari, another guy who could have easily been lost in the shuffle and has been, and we've talked about how he's been misused, you know, throughout the years and not given the right opportunities. And suddenly, like he's another guy that like the the the, the striking that he's kind of uh, worked into his game and the physique that he's gained from his, uh, you know outside endeavors and he was even gracious enough to share his workout routine with us here on the show which is pretty cool but Aaron Aaron Hanari like he was a guy that was right on the cusp of being a strong style wrestler of the year can, uh, candidate we didn't feel he quite had the body of work to qualify for that but he's someone that every time he's in the ring I'm always impressed I'm always entertained he's always beating somebody's ass and doing cool inventive stuff like I, we've always been Hanari fans, but like there's a couple of years here where it was like he was just kind of at one level, and I really feel like he took the step up this year. Yeah, definitely. You know, he he had that time off when he was doing the Muay Thai training, and he incorporated a lot of that Muay Thai um, into his game there, and really helped improved him with his presentation. Now as the the ultimate weapon in the United Empire. Next up, we got Hikaleo who. Uh, took a step up in kayfabe and is now on the cusp of you know winning the never title and there was the whole storyline would he stay with bull club would he join his brothers in uh, you know god and throughout this time he's really been honing his craft and and displaying his power in new japan of america and it's now becoming made apparent here in the domestic side of new japan but he's someone who is just constantly improving and is getting ready to take that next step into superstardom. Yeah, he's been getting over with the Japanese crowds. Uh, when he turned on, on Bullet Club and joined his brother, that was a big moment for him, and the crowd really loved that. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential in him um, going forward. Kevin Knight was a young lion all throughout the grading period. Obviously, he just uh, got his graduation and his gimmick, but that is going to fall into next year's grading period. But, the momentum was there and the improvement in ring as well as just the, uh, I forget what the word is, but the, um, he, the potential it's been on display all year long. Yeah. And you know, you might argue, people might argue, Oh, why not, you know, DKC too, or why, why'd you pick Kevin Knight over DKC? And I love DKC. I think he's been doing really well too, but Kevin Knight has been, um, in the LA dojo a shorter time than the DKC, and I feel like he just improved rapidly. I mean, his athleticism is insane. That that drop yep. kick, his vertical leap, his charisma, and his energy and style. I mean, I think he's just progressed 
uh, so fast in such a short time. I mean, I know the graduation counts counts for next year, but we're I mean, he graduated before DKC. Um, so, I mean, he has a lot of great uh, uh, skills and tools and really stepped it up from the previous year where it was like, all right, who is this Kevin Knight guy? And, you know, what's what's he all about? And then he comes in and just absolutely kills it. Fred Rosser, a guy who a couple of years ago we didn't want to see in New Japan. And now not only is he the face of New Japan of America, he's the champion as well and someone that has made believers out of this show. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tamo Tonga, I think we kind of really h- highlighted him already and why he, he is here and just his advancements. Uh, Kayfabe-wise, in-ring and promo. Um and then Master Wata, we kind of talked about earlier too, with uh, six or nine, six or nine really helped elevate him, and I think really honed his in-ring game. You know, there was a lot of um, lack of confidence and, and botching yep. some of the maneuvers, and I really feel like he's tightened some of that up. Yeah, he's tightened it up. He's gained confidence not just as a tag, but as singles too. Yeah. So next up, we have New Japan of America's MVP, and it's exactly what it sounds like: the most valuable player, the person that really set the tone and defined what new Japan of America was stood for. And so uh, your nominees here, we have Clark Connors, Jonah, Tomohiro Ishii, Tom Lawler, Ren Narita, Aussie open, Will Osprey, Fred Rosser, Minoru Suzuki, and Jay White. And before I kick it over to you, Jeremy, the one thing you'll kind of notice here is you got, your New Japan of America mainstays, the people that you're used to seeing on this brand, whether it's Clark Connors or Jonah or Tom Lawler, Ren Narita, Aussie Open, Fred Rosser, guys like that, the, the people that you associate with the brand if you're watching it. Then you kind of have your outsiders, your more domestic stars like Tomohiro Ishii, Will Ospreay, Minoru Suzuki, and Jay White. And the reason that they're sort of on this list is because while, yeah, they are domestic stars, these were the guys that were coming over for these strong tapings for these tours and for the pay-per-views and headlining them and having multiple great matches throughout this time. So a lot of the decision is really going to come down to, and, and it's kind of been this way for a couple of years now, am I going to go with one of the champions or regulars that are sort of the, the main faces of the brand that are always there? Or do I give a little bit more credence to some of these maybe more established domestic stars like a Jay White who's coming in and headlining and doing all the main events or a Will Ospreay? And it's kind of a, a, it's always interesting to see how people perceive this brand and how they perceive the people, you know, the wrestlers that are participating in it. Yeah. You know, for Jay White, you know, the, the first half of the grading period, he had the U.S. of Jay Open Challenge. So he spent a lot of time. Um, on New Japan Strong, on America, being featured in big matches on the uh, New Japan of America pay-per-views. Uh, so you, you got to think about stuff like that when you're looking at somebody like a Jay White, where you're like, oh, is he, will, will he be considered for this? Like, yeah, definitely. He spent a lot of time um, in America, and like, like Josh mentioned earlier, you know, taking advantage of, you know, a bad situation and having that U.S. of J Open challenge. Yeah, Aussie Open really defined the tag team division carrying the strong tag team titles as the inaugural champions. They really set the tone for that division. Yeah. Uh, Tom Lawler, uh, longest strong open weight champion. I um, mean, him and team filthy, they were also kind of the, the faces of the brand for a very long time. 
several uh, great defenses there. And also we talked about the Fred Rosser feud, who Fred eventually winning the title for him. And we talked about, you know, he's the current champion and he's had you know, a great year uh, carrying the title as well. I love the work that Tom has done after dropping the title and he hasn't really fallen into irrelevance. He's still maintained angles and storylines all throughout this time, even at not as champion. So um, Ishii and Suzuki to me are kind of like two sides of the same coin, hard nosed grizzled veterans who come in and work with the young guys. But what makes them kind of special is that they're, they're doing it on almost every tour throughout the year. They both have like around nine to seven to nine matches through the grading period. And they're on all the pay-per-views they're on all the big shows and, you know, it's pretty cool when you get to, you know, be like, oh, okay, I'm going to a New Japan Strong show and I'm going to see Tom Lawler versus Ishii or I'm going to see Minoru Suzuki versus Brody King. That's the kind of work that they've been putting in this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they've been featured a lot through the Strong tapings and the pay reviews. I feel as they continue to age up, we, we might see more of them uh, mm-hmm. in, in America, which is, uh, like I said, definitely cool to see. Clark Connors and Ren Reed have kind of been like the young workhorse guys of the brand. The ones who um, they haven't been the champions, but they've had some of the absolute best matches week in and week out on the brand. And they just fire up and pull the best out of their opponents. And they're they're They've been the kick-ass dudes for the brand basically all year. Yeah. And Arita having a lot of bloody brawls on strong and, um, some title def- uh, challenges. Clark had a ch- title challenge as well. So yeah, definitely the two up and coming young guys from the LA Dojo this year that really stood out on the show. And then Jonah, you know, like you mentioned, undefeated all year long on this brand, and he's kind of been the first person to establish a new group outside of Team Filthy that had any sort of semblance of dominance, and that's been really cool. Again. Not sure if he's sticking around, but for the time he was here, great matches, great performances, very dominant. And then finally, you got Will Ospreay, who is, again, a strong candidate for Wrestler of the Year, but he had so many pay-per-view appearances, whether it was against Renda Rita, uh, John Moxley, the four-way for the U.S. title. He just continued, or even Shota Umino. So he was definitely headlining a lot of those bigger pay-per-views. But he even did um, quite a few strong taping matches as well. Yeah. Which there was, a, there was a whole United Empire strong episode where he faced Homicide and the other Empire guys had matches on that show as well. So yeah, Osprey doing a lot on for New Japan Strong and New Japan of America this year. Right. So that's going to do it for that. Jeremy, you want to run down the nominees for the next award? Yeah, so we have Newcomer of the Year. So Clarice says for uh, people who have made their debut in the grading period for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So our nominees, we have Francesco Akira, The Orchestrator, Gideon Gray, Hysterical Shane Hayes, Jonah, Yuto Nakashima, Aussie Open, and Bad Dude Tito. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm not going to run down the accolades of what all these guys have done you've been watching but uh typically who you think is the best newcomer who you're most excited about who you think made the most impact the most you know influence who do you like and you got some really great choices here yeah definitely a fun group of guys here to choose from it's gonna be interesting to see who Kind of takes the lead. I feel like Aussie Open is going to do really well in the voting. Um, Gideon Gray, surprisingly, he's probably going to do pretty well too. 
Um, so it's going to be fun to keep track of this group. Nice. Well, next up we have the Fighting Spirit Award, and this is the award that kind of um, recognizes those who persevered and did something of some sort of note or significance throughout the year, whether it was, you know, um, something that was heart wrenching, um, something that they had to persevere from some sort of accomplishment that was very heralded, like, you know, something that we're all in awe of and inspired by, but the fighting spirit award, it's, it's not super strongly defined, but it's sort of what meant the most to you out of these different instances, different uh, events that happened this year. So without further ado, the nominees, Fujinami, the dragon soars again, the return of an elderly Tatsumi Fujinami <laughs> yeah. to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Gabe Kidd, the, his return from mental health struggles and his openness to discuss those things on the mic and, and publicly. Zack Sabre Jr., Zacky Two Cups. He's the first man, or not the first man, but him, his winning for the second time ever of the New Japan Cup this year. We have Jay White, the US of J Open Challenge, the series of challenges that he went through on New Japan Strong this year. Tom Lawler, strongest for the longest. His series of title defenses throughout this grading period, the longest ever strong open weight champion, and also one of the longest reigning champ singles champions in modern New Japan period. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hiromu Takahashi, best of the Super Juniors hat trick, winning that thing back to back to back and twice in the same grading period. Kojima, cozy dominates Noah. And I know this is a little bit outside of the parameters of New Japan, but this man went to Noah. This man won the GHC champion in his um, older age and then turned around and won the GHC tag team title. So, you know, he's had an incredible plus his run through the uh, N1 victory, which was pretty incredible as well. Yeah. You got Okada, G1 winner, back to back. So two peak. Kyrie Sane, or Kyrie as is, as she's known now, the first ever IWGP Women's Champion, winning that title, and then finally Tamatonga getting revenge on Jay White and winning the B Block. I don't know if we have a lot to discuss here, but those are your nominees. Yeah, I think you did a great job, kind of explaining uh, why we chose those. And like you're saying, yeah, these are just this awards for people who you know embody fighting spirit, and, and it might be a kayfabe kind of thing or more serious, kind of like the Gabriel Kid kind of thing. Um, but I think we have a lot of great nominees here. I agree. And uh, just full transparency, Jeremy did most of the nominating this year. So if there's anything that we overlooked that that, that you guys missed, <laughs> it's on Jeremy. <laughs> well, uh, let, let's go to the uh, the, the Joshua Smith uh, Young Lion of the, the Year Award. We, 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 we've always called it the Young Boy Award. And I love that. I thought it was fun and kind of cheeky that we called it the Young Boy Award. But Alex Coughlin won it last year, and he did not fucking like being called a young boy. Yeah, he uh, tweeted us and was like, yeah, please change that to, to young lion. So, and, and you know what? We were going to call it young boy again this year, and <laughs> we were like, all right, we'll, we'll change it for Alex, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll respect <laughs> the android. Um, so the, uh, the nominees for the young lion of the year, we have the DKC. Kosei Fujita, the Jet Kevin Knight, Yuto Nakashima, 
and Rio Oiwa. So obviously these are uh, the guys that are currently young lions, the the, the best of the crop there. Pretty much the only of the crop, but these are young lions that are in the grading period and um, all really great candidates here to to check out and, and vote for. Yeah, I mean, Fujita and Oiwa had just recently joined the roster shortly before this year's awards. Like they, they hadn't done too many tours, so they're still kind of in their early stages as young lions, kind of the same thing with Yuto Nakashima as well. And then you got DKC and Kevin Knight coming out of the LA dojo who are a lot more seasoned and have more experience than those three guys. And it is going to be interesting to see, because even though DKC and Kevin, I've been around longer and maybe are w- more well-known to some degree to certain sec- sections of the audience, the fact that Fujita and Akashima and Oiwa are on the domestic product and doing all those openers, they there's probably a, a whole larger section of the audience that's more familiar with them. And a lot of your favorites, like your Yumoras, your Sujis, your Naritas, all those guys, they, they're kind of graduated or gone on to their excursion. So this is kind of a fresher batch of young lions to choose from for yeah. this year's award. And even and like, like the LA Dojo crew, like your, your Fredericks and Connors and Coughlin yeah. and Gabriel Kidd, all those guys are gone. Yeah, so uh, this was one that I think is more open. Uh, I'll just tell you, Jeremy, for me, I'm an Oiwa guy. Yeah, I think I'm an Oiwa guy too. I mean, Fujita's cool too, but yeah, I think between those two, I definitely like Oiwa better. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Knight, just based on his recent infamy and, and notoriety, picks up this award. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll move on to the next category, the uh, Strong Style Fight of the Year. Yeah. So this is the category where it's not necessarily the best match of the year. It's not necessarily the greatest match of the year. This is the one that most embodies a real fucking fight. What was that match that made you go, ooh, ah, what the fuck? This is crazy. I'm losing my mind. How do humans do this? And that's what the Strong Style Fight of the Year is. And we've got an incredible batch of nominees. We also had to cut an incredible amount of just insane matches this year. So without further ado, Eddie Kingston versus Gabriel Kidd from New Japan Strong Nemesis. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kenta in a no DQ match from Wrestle Kingdom 16. Shingo Takagi versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the New Japan Cup. Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii from the New Japan Cup. El Desperado versus John Moxley from Music City Mayhem in a uh, what did they call that match? Was was that a death match? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think they call it death match. Juice Robinson versus Rock Hard Juice Robinson versus. Uh, Narita from New Japan Strong. Tomohiro Ishii versus uh, Narita from the first round of the New Japan World TV title tournament. Shingo Takagi versus ELP in the New York City street fight. Minoru Suzuki versus Tomohiro Ishii from Windy City Riot. Eddie Kingston versus Tomohiro Ishii from Capital Collision. Fred Rosser versus Tom Lawler for the strong openweight title from uh, New Japan Strong Collision. And finally, Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the G1 Climax 29. Yeah, we won't break down each match here, but what we have here is a collection of the hardest-hitting matches from this past grading period. Several matches, very hard-hitting, lots of blood, 
lots of plunder, crazy brawls, um, crazy suplexes, head bumps. Uh, so these, are, like we mentioned, this is not you know not all five star classics, but these are the, the gritty, hard hitting, strong style fights of the year. I think what's going to be really interesting is how we sort of have this. Um, dichotomy between those matches which are like your traditional strong style matches which is like you know the kicks the knees the elbows the chops the headbutts the suplexes yada yada then you have your plunder matches which we don't see a lot of those in new japan but with the inclusion of strong and the new japan of america and also kind of opening up some of that forbidden door it's sort of created an environment where we're seeing more and more of your weapons-based matches in New Japan as a whole. And we've got at least like three of those on this list that are gimmick-based. Yeah. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how people kind of uh, define what they think is the, the fight of the year between those two types of matches. Yeah, I think the two the thing, too, with those gimmick-based matches, I think they were all used appropriately in kind of like blood blood feuds, serious feuds. They, they were used for progressed feuds and angles they were just kind of random oh let's do uh you know a no dq just because like these guys right. all had feuds that led up to the moment for them to have some of these big matchups yeah and then there's at least uh, i'll i'll call both of them out fred rossa versus tom waller and juice versus narita probably oh you know what you could probably also throw tanahashi and kenta matches where bloodshed visceral bloodshed was like one of the defining aspects of the match which is something that happens in New Japan, but it's pretty rare. And in all three of those cases, it was like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it added a lot. It added a lot. So these matches are every single one of them. Incredible. Again, if you wanted to use this as a playlist of violence, you would see some incredible stuff. And I'm very torn. You know, before we go, I got to tell you, I'm just going to throw the shout out. Eddie Kingston versus Gabe Kidd. People are going to forget about it, but yeah, it was for a, me, I, I think that might be my fight of the year. Yeah, at the very beginning of the grading period. Yeah, I think it's definitely forgotten about. And it's a New Japan strong match. But yeah, if you haven't watched it yet, definitely watch that because that that's a really great contender. Um, so now let's move on to the next category here, the junior match of the year. So this is... I'll see the match, the best match of the year featuring the junior heavyweights. So our nominees, and of course, like we mentioned earlier, you know, the grading period starts in November. So this does include last year's best of the super juniors, which was in that uh, weird time slot um, in the winter. So we have El Desperado versus Hiromu Takahashi from best super juniors 28. Hiromu Takahashi versus Robbie Eagles from best super juniors 28. Hiromu Takahashi versus Yo. From Best of the Super Juniors 28, Hiromu Takahashi versus Taiji Ishimori. From Best of the Super Juniors 28, El Fantasmo versus Robbie Eagles. From Best of the Super Juniors 29, El Esperado versus Robbie Eagles. From Best of the Super Juniors 29, El Esperado versus Hiromu Takahashi. From Best of Super Juniors 29, Hiromu Takahashi versus Yo. From Best of Super Juniors 29, El Esperado versus El Lindemann. From Best of the Super Juniors 29, and Hiromu Takahashi versus Taiji Ishimori. From New Japan Road. Yeah, a lot of great junior matches just across the board throughout the year. But um, because it's so super juniors centric, it's hard for me to kind of give you the 
the full breakdown on each and every one of these or point out um, individual matches that, that, you know, caught my eye or attention. But the one thing I will say that's just very interesting is like, we thought this was going to be a year where the juniors just thrived and shined, but because of the way things sort of fell with the, um, with the calendar and everything like that, with the 50th anniversary, there's only one non super juniors match that made this list. And that's Hiromu and Ishimori at new Japan road for the junior title. Everything else is within the confines of super juniors, 28 and 29. And that may hurt or help whatever match ends up getting the nod. It might be a situation where there's one or two matches from those tournaments that everybody remembers and sort of gets that acclaim and and gets the votes, or it might be a situation where they all sort of blend into each other and something that's very deserving might not get the the recognition it it should get. Yeah. We were mentioning earlier for Taiji Shimori. I still feel like he had a a strong year at, at all with defenses of the junior title. So, you know, only one of his you know, defenses um, is on here, the, that match with Hiromu. So the junior title was not really highlighted this year at all. I mean, like like we saw, like you mentioned, both tournament matches, uh, both, you know, 28 and 29 Super Juniors featured a lot here, but not a ton of junior title matches featured. Not even the, the Tokyo Dome uh, junior title match is featured here. Yeah, I mean, the Hiromu versus uh, Desperado match from Super Juniors 28, from a month or two prior is actually, in my opinion, better than the match that they ended up having in the Tokyo Dome. Right. Um, but, but overall, even though there's a lack of title matches, still a, a ton of uh, great tournament matches here. Obviously, one of the highlights, like we mentioned, in match of the year, uh, ELP and Robbie Eagles from uh, Boss J29. Um, that was an epic uh, main event. I think that's going to be um, a strong favorite from this batch here. Romo and Yo, they've got two matches on here in subsequent tournaments that are both really great. That's an interesting take there. Uh, Desperado and Hiromu, they have two fantastic matches in subsequent tournaments. Um, so you kind of see a trend there. For me, I think one of the matches that I just really love that stands out that we haven't mentioned is that Lindemann Desperado main event. And that was the main event of the show of the year from best of super juniors that we nominated. Yeah, that was just a, a really fun uh, matchup. Uh, Elinamin was definitely a great addition to the tournament this year. And yeah, had a great matchup with Desperado. And then, um, you know, the sole uh, title defense between um, Hiromu and Ishimori from new Japan road. Uh, that was a really great match. Uh, these guys, there's a ton of history uh, between both those guys and, um, that matchup there, even though it was on a smaller platform of New Japan Road, they went out there, tore the house up in the main event of that show, and had one of the best matches in the junior division. Awesome. Well, let's move on to the next match of the year category. That is the tag team match of the year. And we're going to start off. We have Minoru Suzuki and Taka Michinoku taking on the Dangerous Techers from World Tag League last year. This was the match where the Dangerous Techers brutalized Taka Michinoku in his return to the company in a very memorable way with a rare doctor stoppage. Um, next match, we had Sonata and Naito from LIJ as they take on the Dangerous Techers from World Tag League, one of the most uh, memorable matches of that tournament. And then um, the next Nominee is Bishamon versus the Dangerous Techers from World Tag League. I believe that was the finals, right? Yes. Yep. Bishamon ended up winning the tournament and would go on to challenge for the titles. 
at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, the next nominee, we've got Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazushika Okada, the Mega Aces, taking on the team of Keito Kiyomiya and Kichibuto from Noah in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom Night 3. Um, after that, we have the 10-man tag team match between Kongo and LIJ, New Japan versus Noah from the same event. After that, we have Francesco Akira and TJP, the team of Catch 2-2, as they took on the team of Six or Nine at New Japan Road in June for the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. FTR versus Aussie Open for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team titles at Royal Quest Night two, or Night 1. Yeah, Night 1. And then um, Royal Quest 2, yeah. Night 1. Yeah. <laughs> um, after that, we have the nominee of Desperado and Master Wato taking on Hiromu and Ishimori at Battle Autumn. This was, I don't, what was the name of that match? It was, uh, it was the like incredible, incredible tag match. Incredible tag match. I like to call it the Strange Bedfellows match. <laughs> you know, can they coexist tag match? And that one was really fun. And then after that, we have the uh, match between Tanahashi, Okada, and Tatsumi Fujinami as they take on the team of Minoru Suzuki, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, and Zack Sabre Jr. from um, the anniversary event. And then finally, from the Forbidden Door, the team of Minoru Suzuki, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara as they took on the team of Eddie Kingston, Shoto Mino, and Wheeler Utah. So yeah, this was a, a category that I believe we introduced last year to really highlight some of the tag team action that's been going on in New Japan. And New Japan not really known for its tag division all the time, but um, we've seen an increase in, in great tag matches over the years. And you look at the nominees here, we have a, a great uh, mix of stuff. There's You have some... Um, this is our third year. Oh, third year. Okay, I thought we... Th- for some reason, I thought this was a newer category. Happened in 2020, the year we all tried to forget. <laughs> okay, so it's been going for a while, but I think we still have an interesting group of matches here. Um, you know, you have some six-man tags. You have a 10-man tag, that Congo, LIJ. Um, you have the, the Noah tag match with uh, Mega Aces versus Kiyomiya and Muto. Um, got some great World Tag League matches from um, last year's World Tag League um, and also the Forbidden Door uh, six-way with uh, Suzuki and Jazz against uh, Friends of Mox. Um, so, yeah, just a, re- a lot of really great um, different matchups, different uh, style teams here. So yeah. I, th- I think there's something something here for everybody. So depending on um, who your favorite teams were or what your favorite matches were, um, there's a lot to choose from here. I mean, I really would be surprised <laughs> if uh... – FTR versus Aussie Open just doesn't run away with this, but yeah. it is going to be interesting to see what the perceptions of the other matches that took place throughout the the year were amongst the fan base. You know, yeah. Um. So moving on to the last match of the year category, it is the excursion match of the year. Um, so as you know, if you're a long-time listener, this is a category where we track New Japan wrestlers, the matches that they have outside of New Japan. Um, so we have a great list here from uh, several different promotions. Uh, so we have our first nominee is El Esperado versus Jun Kasai uh, from JTO. We have Will Ospreay versus Michael Oku uh, from Rev Pro in January. Tomohiro Ishii versus uh, Josh Alexander uh, from Impact in May. 
Aussie Open versus the Velocities from Rev Pro in May. Will Ospreay versus Ricky Knight Jr. from Rev Pro in August. Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey from Rev Pro in August. John Moxley versus Filthy Tom Lawler from Defy in April. Doki versus Taichi from uh, Just Tap Out from January. Doki and Desperado versus Jun Kasai and Hunma from JTO in May. The Elite. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks versus the United Empire team of Will Ospreay and Aussie Open from AEW in August. Uh, the United Empire team, Aussie Open and Will Ospreay versus Death Triangle, Pack and Lucha Bros, also from AEW in August. And then Francisco Akira versus Gabriel Kidd from Rev Pro in January. Yeah, and just like we mentioned every year, this is probably one of, if not my favorite category for our awards because it's just kind of interesting there's no one else that's doing anything like it that's sort of cataloging what the guys from the company that we follow are doing outside of the company in you know notable ways and every year this is one of the most divisive of all the categories we have because me and jeremy we watched every single one of these matches whether or at least one of us did and there is so much great wrestling that's happening, but they're happening in places that our audiences may be not as familiar with, whether it's just tap out or rev pro or defy, you know? Um, and in other years, I mean, we've had stuff from like Singapore and like Australia and all sorts of like crazy Spain. places, <laughs> Spain. Yeah. And so this one's always interesting because me and Jeremy know how good these matches are, but unlike some of the other awards that we have, like say match of the year, we, we can kind of get a, a gauge on what's going to happen. This one usually has a lot more to do with uh, visibility. How many people saw it? How many people are familiar with it? Are they going to take the time to go out of their way to do the research and actually watch the matches and find out? And we usually find that in my opinion, I think almost every year that we've done this, and th- this is not a knock it's it's this or anything, but almost every year, there's like one or two matches that I think are like blow away the best that don't win or aren't even like kind of considered just because the audience doesn't see as much of, uh, of the matches. So this is an opportunity if you are seeing this list to, yeah, definitely vote the way you want to vote. I'm not telling you to do anything differently, but if you haven't seen these matches, they're not on here for no reason. There's nothing on this list that is under four and a half like categories, some of them are five star classics. Me and Jeremy got to a point where I was like, "All right, bro, like we, <laughs> we're gonna cut it down to ten. There's a lot of Osprey on here. There's a couple of these matches that are really similar. If we're gonna need to cut one of these Ref Pro matches. We're gonna need to cut one of these AEW six man tags." And Jeremy's like, "I just feel weird cutting five star matches." <laughs> yeah, like it's not it's not our fault that Will Osprey <laughs> decides to go around the world and, and have four and a half plus star matches all the time. Like, I'm sorry. I can't help it that he, in, in the same weekend, decided to have two five, a five-star match with uh, RKJ and Speedball Mike Bailey in the same weekend. Bro, we cut so many of his classics. The Christian match, the Brian Cage match. Uh, the, the Nick, Nick the, Wayne. The Nick Wayne. Yeah, that's one people are probably going to be mad about. We, I didn't think the Nick Wayne match was of the same caliber as what we got here, and neither did you, but everyone else disagrees with us. But it is our awards. Right. That's just not winning. 
and, and the good thing is, you know, a lot of this stuff is on New Japan World now. Just to, that's true. A lot of the partnerships, like the Rev Pro partnership and the AEW uh, partnership, so you can check out some of those matches and Impact as well. So a lot of those matches you can check out on uh, NJPW World, and then the other stuff is uh, pretty easy to find as well. Um, mm-hmm. so, so a really great collection here, and even though there is a ton of Osprey on here, I still feel like we have a great variety variety from uh, different promotions and different guys. Um, you know, Doki getting a lot of love here. Um, That's Tom, getting Tom, a lot of love. Yeah, Despy, Tom Lawler. Um, we got Gabe Kidd and Akira on here. So uh, Josh Alexander, Ishii. Like, there's a lot of great guys represented from different promotions and Aussie Open versus Velocities, which might actually be the best Aussie Open tag match that's on this list. Hint, hint. I'm telling you, it's better than FTR. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's not cap. Like, it, and that's not a slight because both of these matches are incredible. But if you haven't seen Aussie Open versus Velocities, it's on YouTube for free. You should go watch that. Yeah, when we were at when we were at Jeremy's, uh, um, pr- what is it called? The before the wedding dinner? Oh, the uh, rehearsal dinner. We're at the rehearsal dinner, and I met uh, Jeremy's um, father-in-law now for the first time, and he's like, "I watched that match you recommended, <laughs> Aussie Open versus Velocities," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> So crazy, and he's like, "Yeah, it's really good." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's really, really." Did you see that match? Yeah, dinner? I did. Yeah. Oh, so amazing. Good. And, Everything on this, bro, we got to a point where I was like, maybe we should cut Doki Desperado and Jun Kasai and Hama. I was like, there's already a lot of death match here. And you're like, that's a crazy match. I don't know. We can't cut it. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm like, this is supposed to be the best excursion match of the year. And I feel like that's what we got here. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, Despi and Osprey, those guys put the work in and they have a great uh, body of work. Uh, some of the best excursion stuff of the year. I will say this before we go. In the past, because of how prolific his outside work is, Will Ospreay has kind of got snubbed on occasion for this award. This year, he's got five matches that are all pretty accessible, pretty well-known, and pretty high-profile. How do you, do you think that's going to split the vote? Because I'm thinking it will. In fact, in, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think the Oku match is the best match of all of them. And Dave gave it five stars and I think it's the highest rated on cage match, but it was in January. And I also feel like recency bias might come into play here. And I don't know how many, that feels like a lifetime ago. I don't know if anyone remembers that match. Right. I think, you know, the, the both of the trios matches from AEW, those are going to split votes because people kind of argue which one of those they like better. I think the, the RKJ and speedball matches that happened the same weekend. I think both those matches will split votes um, just because of how much um, people, some people like the, the belly match better. Some people like the, the RKJ match um, better. So yeah, I feel like both of those are going to take a lot of votes. And then, yeah, I think the Oku match is going to be unfortunately the one that kind of gets left out in the cold because yeah, it did happen in January. I know Osprey has tweeted about it recently and trying to kind of bring it back to people's minds. But yeah, if you, don't remember or have forgotten have watched it that could be on the back of your mind so i think that match is on one of them on new japan world so definitely go back and check that match out and uh two two last matches we should just talk about because i don't want them to be overlooked moxley versus lawler from defy fucking rules yes bloody it's so bloody violent brawl it, in fact i think that's tom lawler's best match that i've ever seen yeah i agree um the other one Francesco Akira versus Gabriel Kidd oh. before Francesco Akira was even in the company. Yes, love that. That's match. incredible. 
super hard hitting out. Yeah, that was one very Gabe violent. Kidd, yeah, Gabe Kid standout matches this whole year. Yeah, guys, every single match on this list you need to see. Um, I don't know who's winning this one. I, I literally don't know. Uh, I, most years, I usually feel like most years, either like a high end Rev Pro or AEW match usually is gonna, or like the All In match with Kenny and Pentagon. That one one year, mm-hmm. but this year. There's not that one clear cut. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you what I think is going to win. Hmm. I think Desperado and Jun Kasai is going to get the nod, or or that, or it's going to be a situation where like that and one of the Will Osprey matches are like neck and neck, and I'm going to be pissed if. Well, I, I'm not going to be pissed if any of these matches win, but like I kind of got this like soft spot for Jun Kasai and Desperado because <laughs> it's it's so incredible. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, we only have two categories left, so let's uh, run through these. Um, you want to take the the angle of the year? Yeah, so this is the in-ring angle of the year. We have Shibata calling an audible at Wrestle Kingdom 16, night one, deciding to work a real wrestling match. <laughs> the next, uh, cat- the next uh, nominee... Noah invades NJPW at Wrestle Kingdom 16, night two. After that, we've got Tom Lawler forcing Fred Rosser to shave his own head on New Japan Strong. Fourth nominee, Tamatonga becomes a real good guy. He aligns with Hantai, throws on the Lion Mark shirt, and the crowd goes crazy. After that, we got Juice shocking and working the world by joining Bullet Club. Everybody thought he was done. This man was not done, and he's evil. After that, we got Shibata saving Orange Cassidy at the Forbidden Door. Nobody expected to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Kushida returns and challenges Ishimori, which seemed like a really big deal when it happened. It did, yeah. (laughs) Hikaleo chooses blood over the Bullet Club, and he lays the smackdown on Jay White. After that, we have the Roughneck Returns. Shoto Mino comes out and attacks the United Empire, challenges for the U.S. title. And finally, we have the showdown. Kenny Omega shows up on the video screen and challenges Will Ospreay to re- a match at Wrestle Kingdom for the U.S. title. Yeah, great list of angles here. You know, New Japan doesn't always do a ton of, you know, crazy angle. It's not a really angle-heavy promotion. It's more of an in-ring promotion. Um, but there were a lot of really great angles that had happened this year. Um, we got we got them all listed here. Um, I feel like probably the, the Omega Osprey one probably gonna get a lot of love just for the the magnitude of that match, and also probably like one of the last angles of this uh, grading period that that happened. Uh, but overall, I think we have a great list here, and um, definitely go back and rewatch some if you don't remember. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. I think Omega Osprey will probably be one of the ones that win, but I think some of the other ones is going to be interesting to see how people. It's going to be interesting because some of them were um, delivered so well, but the follow ups weren't as strong as they could be, and mm-hmm. some of them maybe weren't as weren't delivered that well, but the follow ups in hindsight made them stronger than they were initially. You know? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see, and then you, some. There's some that are just great, but they happened so long ago that, like you mentioned, that recency thing. Like, did did it have a long lasting, long lasting effect in the the minds and memories of the audience? 
Yeah, and then also, you know, for uh, Lawler and Rosser, you know, being a New Japan strong hurts them a little bit. But I, don't, I think that's, that Bro, that's is one of the best, best angle. angle on here. That's the actual best in-ring angle. And that's, like, the best feud, too. But just nobody saw it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably going to get my vote, but it's going to be, like, me voting third party like I normally do. <laughs> and it doesn't win. <laughs> All right, in our last category here, the news story of the year. So these are, you know, a list of some of the, the biggest news that broke uh, throughout the grading period. Uh, so our nominees, we have Kota Ibushi's contract status controversy. So all, you know, the, the rumors and the, the miscommunications between Ibushi and New Japan and all the, the tweets. Yeah, the tweets and just the crazy stories that are involving what, Happened between him and uh, what was Kikuchi? Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, the associate, yeah, the associate, and all that, all that controversy that covers that news story. And then uh, they and then they apologized, and yeah, then they said that everything was straight, and, and it then, wasn't, and it wasn't. <laughs> and then there was mentions of organized crime families and triangle rings, and nobody knows what the fuck is going on with this thing, <laughs> yeah. Um, we have the historic, uh, Stardom crossover pay-per-view and the IWGP women's title uh, being introduced. Uh, the passing of Antonio Inoki. We had the return of cheering audiences. We had the AEW and NJPW Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Carl Anderson signing with WWE and holding up the Never Open Weight title. New Japan launching uh, Tamahashi, the Oceanic brand. The NJPW World TV title was introduced. Carl Fredericks, the, the Alpha Wolf, leaving NJPW. And then the last thing, Fight TV pay-per-view production issues. Uh, so bad that you know New Japan had to put out several you know news stories <laughs> uh, apologizing for. Uh, the poor production quality and had to go out of their way to like make sure that the quality was good for all the U.S. reviews going forward, you know, offering refunds if you thought the quality wasn't good enough. And it was something that really plagued um, a lot of New Japan of America this year, which like we mentioned, there was a lot of great pay-per-views this year, but some of them got like Battle in the Valley. Battle in the Valley is like unwatchable. Yeah, that was um, in the, the very the first show of this year's grading period. Really good card, but horrible, horrible yeah. production. Horrible. Um, this one, this one's interesting too. There are certain like news stories that are not listed here that we considered like New Japan goes back on Access TV. That was like a big news story, and then it ended up not being one. Or like Kushida yeah. returns to Japan. That was like what the fuck, but. Some of these things just didn't end up having very much long-term effect. There was people that returned from like injuries and stuff. These were the these were the long-lasting stories that we felt had the the greatest impact. And I, I think it is going to be interesting to see. For instance, like you've got obviously like Kotobushi. That's a very controversial thing. But then you've got like the 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 stardom and the um, AEW stuff and that's like very positive and very groundbreaking and people are very excited about that but then you also have like the unfortunate passing of New Japan's founder Antonio Noki and that was a huge deal in Japan but I don't know how how much that had an effect on like the audience here in the west 
And so just a, a, a large variety of different kinds of news stories, whether it was controversy or positivity or, uh, you know, uh, sorrow. There's just a lot here. Yeah, definitely a, a great mix of uh, news stories here and definitely a lot of – I was curious to see how people vote on this. We always have a mix, like you mentioned, of these kind of different types of news stories. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what people are going to vote on. A lot of these stories we, we talked about on the show in the news sections over and over, especially you know, the Carl Anderson, the Kota Ibushi stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how people vote here. Yeah. But that is going to do it. I am proud of us for, A, doing the audio, uh, powering through tonight. I mean, this took up almost most of <laughs> our day after we got done working. Like, I still need to go take a shower. Um, but I really do think we did a fantastic job recounting the year, giving a retrospective. This, this uh, episode is kind of evergreen because it's not just about the awards, though that's important, it also kind of gives a brief overview of everything that happened, where people are at in the pecking order, the events, the timings, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like we did a pretty spectacular job. Like every year I'm always worried, like, did we overlook something? Did we snub somebody? Did we forget something? We never get a complaint, probably because there's so many categories. We're so thorough. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I feel like I feel like we did a great job, and I'm, my thanks is to you, Jeremy, because if it wasn't for you, this would not be happening this year. This was probably all years we work hard on this, but this is the year that I worked the least on the awards <laughs> in the in the history of us doing the show. Well, the one good thing is I actually kept with some of the stuff throughout the year on the dock. Not everything, but there was some stuff I had like I was keeping track of throughout the year. That definitely helped a lot. <laughs> Well, it's greatly appreciated, and uh, hope you guys listening at home are enjoying this, enjoyed this episode. We can't wait to see your votes. Send in your ballots, like Jeremy mentioned. Share this on social media with the hashtag Kiss Awards. K I S S A W A R D S. Kiss Awards. Let us know who you voted for each category. Share screenshots of your ballot. Tweet your friends. Tweet us. Get as many people involved in this conversation so you know everybody can kind of jump in and make this you know exciting see who people are voting for yeah if you if you write to us we will write back yes so yeah that's going to wrap it up got for the ballot the link will be in the description for the show it'll be on our twitter it'll be on reddit discord anywhere that we are the, the link for the ballot will be there vote share it with your friends and thank you for listening to this bonus episode of keeping a strong style the ace of podcasts thank you for your listen thank you for your download thank you for your vote thank you for your share we've had a great year ladies and gentlemen we're gonna do it again for another year and we're gonna keep going and showing people why this podcast is the ace of podcasts and we are itchy thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time